weird getting back on the horse i felt like it's been a while i agree this is strange all right is your microphone plugged in that's a good question you sound very roomy sure is not (laughs) (laughs) sure is not so what is this you sound like you're in a room right now is that better there you go there y'all oh shit i know i listen you know i've been really down lately you know lots of things lots of things but we also haven't recorded in like a week and a half two weeks and I'm thinking it's because you know like I'm always used to that routine and I was like I always look forward to doing this and we have our schedule of record edit research you know and I love it I love having that purpose yeah I'm wondering if not having that in the last couple weeks you know did not help is that (laughs) what was getting you down that was that was giving you the blues you just missed me. I missed you. <laughs> I'm glad you're back safe and sound. Bad on boats. Yeah, bad on <laughs> Yeah, I was on a boat this past weekend. I'm on a boat. Yeah. I've yeah. never been on a cruise. I would be oh. so scared. Well, I told you my fantasy, right? Did I tell you? No. Did I-, I was marking you. Maybe you didn't get that one. But I was like, wouldn't it be awesome if like like this podcast was able to like allow us to go on this cruise to like Curacao? We could go do a like a live show down there and it could be this like this really cool practical magic experience on a cruise ship. That'd be so cool. I wonder if Alice Hoffman had ever, was there. Like, has she been there before? Like, right. how does she resonate with that culture? You know, enough to add it yeah. into her book. I'd be interested to know if she's there. Then we yeah. could just have a big old slumber party. That would be so cool. Um, I did get you a little something. I don't know if I want to show you what it is. <gasps> Do you know what it is? Or <laughs> I would like to be surprised. Okay. And then I can open it and do a reveal. Yeah, yes. We will do a reveal and then we will enjoy the surprise together because I also got myself the same thing. Do we have matching some things? Yes, but it's something to be enjoyed, not something to keep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's an edible something? Yes. Or a drinkable something? Either one. Yeah. Well... I, we will, I will let you be surprised, but I it's just me. wanted to let you know that I did get you something. I remember I sent you the picture from the cruise, or I was trying to send you a picture from the cruise ship, but the reception was horrible. I never got any photos. Okay, good. Because I'm actually glad you didn't get it. So now that, so now you'll be surprised when I actually send it to you. It's not hot dogs, is it? Because you kept saying no. that's all there was to eat. <laughs> no. no, it's not a hot dog. I'll get her a one of a kind cruise hot dog. <laughs> right. No, it's not a hot dog. It's, um, I think you'll, uh, it, it's... It's something practical magic related. Cool. Okay. So it'll be very exciting when you get it. And uh, when you do get it, I want you to wait to open it so I could see you open it. Okay. Yeah. Is it something I have to put together? Like No, no, no. no. Okay. (laughs) Bitch, I I ain't buying you anything from Ikea. (laughs) I'm going to have to put anything together. We're going to open it. We're going to enjoy it together. Yay. Thank you. Thank you so much. It'll be an event. 
And the only thing I brought back from Edisto were seashells. So unless you want some seashells, that's all about myself. <laughs> I tried getting some seashells from the beach where mm-hmm. I was on the island, but um, I got yelled at by one of my friends. They were like, you're not supposed to take anything back. They're going to pat um, you down when you get on the ship. They I pat you down? Apparently, well, yeah, when you get on and off the boat, they have like a security thing, like one of those things you got to step in oh. and they can like, I guess, see if you have anything like any wow. seashells tucked under your bra wow <laughs> so i couldn't take anything back into the ship with me but we went to that beach great it's called botany bay but it had all those like trees that are like fossilized you know Ooh. dead trees in the water that's called like the graveyard the boneyard that's so cool and it's a like protected area so if you do take anything if you are caught it's a 450 dollar fine <gasps> So like, but they have, because nobody takes anything, the, those huge like mussel shells and conch shells, like perfectly preserved. So I think if you really want like a primo shell, it's 450 bucks. Oh, that's a steep fine. That's that's too much for us. I did take some pictures of some like witchy stuff I saw on the island, which I have to show you. This This is really cool. I saw these and thought of you and then I was taking pictures of them and my friends are like, what is she taking pictures of? And Avi was like, oh, just some witchy shit. (laughs) I like how my husband just knows. He is very supportive. Yeah. But look at look at these rocks. (gasps) Oh, yeah. Stack them rocks. Yeah, yeah. People were stacking rocks all over this beach. But Just some witchy shit. Just some witchy shit. Yeah, look at this. So cool. I love that. Yeah, and there was like a lighthouse. You see it in the distance. There's a lighthouse over oh, here. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So at nighttime, we went to a beach party over by that lighthouse and they do like a light show on it at night cool it was so freaking cool i love uh, it i like lighthouses yeah it's stri- red and white striped and everything traditional right so yeah it was a lot of fun the whole time i was like christina would love this oh. <laughs> so one day we'll go on our on our curacao cruise awesome We're putting it out I'm there i'm glad you're back <laughs> yeah i'm glad i'm back too i was definitely starting to miss um the whole like you said the routine and just you know recording and talking about our shenanigans like we normally do this is exciting like yeah. i really like what we're doing it's fun i was asking ai yesterday you know i was playing around and i was trying to teach it to become my personal assistant <laughs> and I was, say, I, I was like ask me questions that you need to know about our project to to better help me basically and it was giving me like interview questions asking oh, wow. me like why i love the podcast what got us started and all this stuff so it kind of is like learning uh-huh. um and like all about our schedule and it was cool to like look back on like okay what sparked this idea not that we're we're only like 30 episodes in yeah but we started writing those songs a long time ago yeah and it just kind of snowballed from there but i'm still loving i really love this project it's so fun yeah it is a lot of fun and the feedback and the listeners weighing in that's what's the i think that's what's the most fun about everything Mm -hmm. is because it's just fun to enjoy it with everybody else who we we know love practical magic probably just as much or maybe even more than we do exactly it's cool to be able to share that with with the fan base because a lot like we've talked about before a lot of the time you might feel like am I the only one that is as obsessed with this as I am you know what I mean like but there are other people out there and it's cool to not feel so alone right yeah like it's it's totally cool we we didn't outgrow this obsession in in high school it's fine my little 16 year old self would not believe me that she'd punch me in the teeth if (laughs) I told her hey you run a podcast based on practical magic shut up (laughs) <laughs> right it is a dream it's a dream come true that we were able to manifest this it's really cool so i'm super well, excited i'm christina i'm justina welcome to magnolia street we're the one and only practical magic fandom podcast we cover everything from the books and the movies and we talk for a very very long time 
but apparently you guys enjoy the long ones, so we're going to keep churning those out for you. We keep deep diving further and further down the rabbit hole with every episode, I feel yes. like. Um, so this episode today, this is actually a patron pick, right? It is. Yeah, they voted. You this guys voted on this topic, and today we are talking about sympathetic magic. I don't know if I've ever done sympathetic magic. Have you? Um, I can't. I don't think I could say that I have. Hmm. I never even knew there was a term for this. Growing up, you see voodoo dolls in movies and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And probably at the beach too, and like little head shops, they sell the little fake, not fake ones, but the little ones for money. Um, But I don't think I ever bought one. Even at Hot Topic, they sell those like little voodoo doll keychains. Yes. Yes. I've gotten a few of those in my day. But I don't think I can say that I've ever stuck pins in a doll hoping that it would hurt somebody. Right. I don't don't think I've ever done anything like that. But as we will learn later, sympathetic magic is not only used to harm. It can be used for other things as well. Right. It's not just the pins. It's not just what you see in the film. There's so much more that we're going to unpack. Yeah. But before we do that, we have an Apple review, our first one in a long time. Thank you so much. Do you want to read it? No, go for it. All right. So this is from Stitch and Steph. And the header, the subject of this review is Garden Episode A++. We got two pluses. <laughs> That's insane. Two pluses. Never got two pluses in my life. Yeah. <laughs> so Stitch and Steph says, I'm in Western Montana and winter has still got a chokehold on us. This episode gave me so much excitement for spring and summer. An idea on gardening on a budget. Check out your local library. Many public libraries have a free seed library you can access from flowers to veggies, and they have seeds that are good for your zone. Anyways, this podcast is pure gold. The thought and time you put into this really shows. Bravo, ladies. So uh, That is so nice. That was really nice. Yeah. So if you guys have uh, a review for us, if you'd like to leave us a review, you could do that on Apple Podcasts, and we will repost your review because we love showing all of our, what do you you call us? Review crew hype. Review crew. Yes. If you want to be part of our review crew, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll repost it. Yeah. So thank you. And then we also, right before hopping on to, to this recording, we just wrapped up an Instagram live because we unboxed some goodies that one of our patrons and listeners sent our way. And we just wanted to give a special thanks to Marissa at Moonlight Garden 13 for sending us all those wonderful goodies. She sent us some good stuff. She is amazing. Everything had like a slightly different aura, like vibe, mm-hmm. right? Because you were expecting one thing. She sent us a rollerball. Uh-huh. And I was expecting to smell one thing. And then there was like, ooh. What is that? What had is like that? Little so, little fruity notes in it, right? Something yeah. little fruity in the rollerball, and it also got beautiful little chunks of amethyst crystal, and just so beautiful. And the candle she sent us, what was the crystal? Somebody said what it was. I don't remember what it was. I thought it was sea glass, but I don't remember what it was. Was it fluorite? Rainbow fluorite? fluorite? Maybe something like that. But everything smells amazing. She gave us a little sachet of lavender and jasmine. She sent us a little, little lollipops, which is cute. So I finished mine already. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> Christina just. Opened opens her her uh any any kind of like mail we get she just beasts through all her stuff right away and i'm just like ah, i want to savor it i just want to <laughs> we um, really appreciate it and like nice handwritten personalized note with a wax seal oh the wax so thinking classy so if you want to go watch our unboxing it's over on our instagram at magnolia street podcast but we can't thank you enough marissa thank you yeah. which is the name of my newest little niece oh congratulations so there you go 
see your auntie last week. So cute. So I think that's about it as far as shout outs. But before we get started, I, we just want to remind you guys that this Sunday is our first ever watch party. Um, I'm nervous. Yeah. We haven't done this before. Who knows if it's going to work? <laughs> I know. We're going to have to test this out before before we actually hop on. But um, we will be watching the Stevie Nicks In Your Dreams documentary. And if you guys haven't already... Go listen to our Stevie Nicks episode where we actually talk in depth about this documentary and how difficult it was to find this, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Justina paid a pretty penny to get this because you can't find it anymore streaming or anywhere. You have to buy the DVD on eBay. You know? eBay. Yeah, not even Amazon. It's not in any like normal DVD selling library platform. Nothing. I found this on eBay. So I hope <laughs> it's a legal copy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> have you tried it? tested playing it i have not i took okay, it out of the box but yeah i'll get it i'm gonna test it before we <laughs> it's probably like a scooby-doo and the <laughs> island haunted island or something it's no it's just titanic it's just the whole move titanic <laughs> Could you can you imagine, imagine? <laughs> wow oh my god um yeah so join us this sunday at 6 p.m to eastern uh, eastern time eastern standard time that's right and it's uh we'll be doing this through our discord so you can access that through our five dollar tier on our patreon thanks yeah so i think okay. that's all the business we have for uh for today before we deep dive into this topic we're getting back in the saddle so if we're a little rusty that's okay that's I okay think it feels good today we, we i feel like it feels like we haven't even stepped away you know i feel like I we're we're naturals at this point okay all right okay. i hope it comes off that way anyway <laughs> It's all coming back to me now. <laughs> all right. So today we're talking about sympathetic magic. Mm-hmm. But before we get into the book mentions, um, I think it's important to just define and establish the basics of what this term actually is so you can get a better understanding of it before we spelunk down the rabbit hole today. So Justina, what is sympathetic magic? So according to the dictionary, sympathetic magic, it's a noun. It's primitive or magical ritual using objects or actions resembling or symbolically associated with the event or person over which influence is sought. So for example, voodoo dolls, usage of poppets, or sticking other objects that represent a certain person with pins or needles in order to affect your target in question. And this has been a common trope in pop culture, which we will talk about some of those references a little later on. Those are just a few examples. There's many ways to use sympathetic magic and different forms of it. But for now, let's chat a bit about where we see this concept in the Practical Magic movie and the books, starting with the movie. So the dove scene. Do you want to take it away, talk about the dove scene a little bit? Yeah. We're just going to spitball on this one. Yeah. So we see in the Practical Magic movie a little bit of sympathetic magic go down in the scene where the neighbor, who we dubbed as Irene, she's in the book, she's Irene, comes to the back door. She needs a love spell to make a married man leave the wife and fall in love with her. And we hear Jet and Franny say get the bird get the book so they are using that bird in a sympathetic magic practice i wonder what other animals they use like could they not have used something else but in the book they also use dove's hearts which we'll get to but that dove is basically a representation of the man it's 
sympathetic magic is I'm taking this thing here to represent that thing over there Mm -hmm. and working to come out with an identical end result of some kind. Right. So they want to use that dove and prick that dove's heart as a representation of her pricking the heart of the man and and gaining his love. Got it. I never saw it that way. I always thought they were like trying to like, I don't know, obviously she didn't want to hurt him because she wanted to be with him. But like, I was always under the impression that if you stab something with the intention of having it represent somebody else, then it would hurt that person, you know? Mm-hmm. So I took, I always took it as another way, but that makes sense. Kind of like awakening his heart to this like taboo kind of love. We also see um, Jet like take the pin after and kind of look at it like, oh, this is what, this is the blood we needed or something oh. like that, you know? Like she looks mm-hmm. at it like, this is what we needed. We didn't really need the dove itself. Got it. We needed the pin with the blood, but okay. we'll never know. Right. Yeah, I always thought that scene was, <laughs> I was, I always did what Sally did, like kind of like, ugh, like kind of mm. cower a little bit at at, at it. And mm. it's kind of just like in awe. She's just memorized. I know. She's like eyes wide. Yeah. So the scene in the movie is a little reminiscent of what actually happens in the book, right? Because mm-hmm. the book was written first. So they took this bit from the book. So we're going to get into book mentions from the very first book, Practical Magic. And this starts on page 16. And I'm, I think that scene in the movie was taken from this passage pretty much. It says, I'm sure, the girl said in her calm, beautiful voice. And the aunts must have been satisfied because they gave her the heart of a dove set on one of their best saucers. The kind with the blue willows and the river of tears. Sally and Jillian sat on the back stairs in the dark, their knees touching, their feet dirty and bare. They were shivering, but still they grinned at each other and whispered right along with the aunts, a charm they knew well enough to recite in their sleep. My lover's heart will feel this pin and his devotion I will win. There will be no way for him to rest nor sleep until he comes to me to speak. Only when he loves me best will he find peace and with peace rest. Jillian made little stabbing motions, which is what the girl was to do to the dove's heart. And when she repeated these words for seven nights in a row before she went to bed. So it seems here that it was just the heart of a dove. So it wasn't a live dove, it seems, right? Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. They they, they upped the ante for the movie. <laughs> they really did. I wonder if like, because it's a P, is it PG-13? Let me take a look. Because like if <laughs> yeah. they're showing, maybe if they're showing like actual blood. Yeah, they didn't show it. Like they never showed it, right? They never show anything yeah. yeah just implied dude i don't even know the last time i looked at the back of a dvd jesus christ okay there it is the pg-13 <laughs> where's where that shit labeled yeah yeah for some violence intense thematic elements and sensuality okay so i guess that's that's probably the only difference in the two scenes is that in the book it was just the heart of a dove that had probably already died mm-hmm. some sort mm-hmm. in the movie they actually stabbed a live dove which it, i fucking i hate it <laughs> It's so sad too to watch know. Franny go out into the conservatory to uh-huh. the like bird cage. There's a bunch of birds in there, and she it's, gently. It's almost as if they're breeding doves there f- for this sole purpose. Yes, you know. Oh, those about poor, that. Those poor doves. And I'm wondering if like maybe Franny just used the doves because she had that that kinship with birds. But Which then is also, up. right? That that's yeah. So like. That, that kind of doesn't make sense because if she has like such a connection with these birds, like how is she okay with killing them for mm-hmm. means of, I guess. Magic. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. That never sat well with me, but we've talked about their <laughs> ethical nature before. Yeah. Or lack thereof. Yeah. Anyway, page 20. Sally never would have stayed. She would have run all the way to her room and locked the door with a deadbolt. Had she known that in order to compel a man to marry you when he doesn't wish to, something horrible has to be done. 
She closed her eyes as soon as they brought the morning dove in. She covered her ears with her hands so she wouldn't have to listen to it shriek as they held it oh, down on the countertop. It is okay. a live dove. It is a live dove. Okay. Okay, so this might this is a different instance because the first one was on page 16 and this is all the way on page 20. No, it's the so, same thing. Is it the same thing? Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Interesting. So they held it down on the countertop. She told herself she had cooked lamb chops. She had broiled chicken. And this wasn't so different. All the same, Sally never ate meat or fowl or even fish after that evening. And she got a shivery feeling whenever a flock of sparrows or wrens perched in the trees startled and took flight. Mm. So yeah, I don't think I'd be able to eat another piece of chicken after seeing that happen. <laughs> I think it'd you be know? all right. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's okay. It's so different, like, being a meat eater, like, mm-hmm. not really paying attention to the source, like, right. not seeing it happen. You're so far removed from killing that animal. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier, I guess, to consume it that way, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But I could totally see where she, as as a child, seeing that as a child, I'm sure that would traumatize me. Because mm-hmm. she she's so kind-hearted and yeah. loves animals. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think the last one, the last sympathetic magic mention in the first book, Practical Magic, is on page 284 and this is at the end of the book it says look here she calls to jillian they're still at it in the pot is the heart of a dove pierced by seven pins jillian comes to stand beside her sister somebody's getting spelled that's for sure sally carefully puts the lid back in place i wonder whatever happened to her jillian knows she's talking about the drugstore girl irene right Mm -hmm. i used to think about her whenever things went wrong jillian admits I wanted to write to her to let her know I was sorry. I said all those things to her that day. She probably jumped out a window. (laughs) Sally guesses, or she drowned herself in the bathtub. Let's go find out, Jillian says. So the aunts, they basically are doing the sympathetic magic again at the end of the book. And this is when Sally and Gary, or Gary comes to meet up with Sally once again, right? After the whole Jimmy debacle goes down in the garden. Right. Um, is this Magnolia Street at the end? Oh, yeah. that's a good question. I think this is at her house. Is oh, it- wait a minute. It I has think- to be Magnolia Street because Irene lived in that town. Yes. So they're back on Magnolia Street. The aunts are back at their shenanigans with the sympathetic magic. They see the dove heart on the plate. But is it for Sally? Because I think in another, yeah, in another line, it's like, little did Sally know that Jillian was the one who called Gary to see like, what the fuck are you doing? Come get your lady, you know? So do you think Jillian did the dove thing on the plate to, you know, we don't know. Yeah. We'll never know. That whole ending is a mystery. (laughs) So those were all the mentions in the Practical Magic book. Now we're going to move on over to rules of magic there's a lot more sympathetic magic i think in this book because we talk a little bit more about the left-handed path right in this book because vincent is a kind of a dark child he's obsessed with the magus he's a dark horse yeah um he's obsessed with uh darker magic so you want to take us through some of some of these mentions page 25 through 26 it says franny had stumbled upon some of the more disquieting ingredients in the pantry the bloody heart of a dove, small frogs, a glass vial containing teeth, strands of hair to boil or burn, depending on what you wanted, to call someone to you or send them away. Page 34 and 35. One of Maria's remedies called for the beating heart of a dove to be taken from the bird while it was alive. Another included collecting the hair and fingernail clippings of a disloyal man and burning them with cedar and sage. I wonder if Hannah ever did the dove thing or if she got that from Rebecca. I feel like that's a Rebecca thing. I think so. But didn't Rebecca come to Hannah to do that spell on, was it her husband or somebody? Mm Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I can't remember if they if that's the one. She wanted a reversal. She didn't want a love spell. She wanted oh, a remedy for whatever she did. The got ten. It. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I added some magic lessons references after rules of magic. So I guess we'll clarify that one once we get to magic lessons. Okay. Page 182, hexes, curses, conjuring, causing spiritual sickness. Such practices could be addictive, especially when customers were willing to pay high prices for them. He, talking about Vincent, set up shop in his predecessor's room. It was sympathetic magic he dealt in. Some so exhausting he had to sleep for days to regain his strength. In no time, he had a list of wealthy clients who didn't care about the rule of three. I don't remember that. Yeah. It continues. They took it upon themselves to turn evil back on the one who had created it, which meant that a candle must be burned backward or a container spell with mirrors must be put into use. Wicked magic was used to bind an enemy, often in business, wherein a photograph or doll or image was used to represent the one who would be cursed. Some of the spells were painful and risky. All were unethical. And yet Vincent began to collect and sell paraphernalia of jealousy and hate coins, mirrors, cones, pyramids, figurines, amulets to protect and those meant to harm. Franny had been right about his magical learnings. They led to trouble and always had. All right, so page 273. Back in the abandoned apartment, covered with graffiti, he brought from his shirt pocket and the photograph William had taken of them when they were first together. Some love magic was brutal and quick and didn't give the other person a choice in the matter. It was dark and irrevocable, but in Vincent's opinion, it was for the best. If it would save his beloved from pain and grief, he tore William out of the picture. He had brought along the ingredients necessary to undo their attraction. His own blood, black paint, pins, a bird's broken wing, a thin strand of lead. He could fix it so that William would never even see him. It was emotional camouflage. Whom you had loved, you would no longer recognize. He would not know his voice, his touch, their history. Without knowing why, William would throw out anything that might remind him of Vincent. Letters he'd written, the tape of I Walk at Night. He would open a book Vincent had given him and not know where it had come from. He would toss out the second pillow on the bed. I wonder if that I Walk at Night has an origin, you Mm -hmm. know? Or if she just made up the song. Or if we should take it under our wing. We're going to take it under our Because I think he has lyrics in here because somebody, (laughs) you know, there's lyrics in there. Yes. Wouldn't it be awesome if we put a melody to it? Mm -hmm. That's what I'm thinking. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I'm picking up what you're putting down. We'll get get to that. We're going to get to that. (laughs) Put that that on the list. Okay. (laughs) Oh, I started another Discord just for the Magnolia Street think tank and invited you. (laughs) So it's, it's up there now. All right. I'll check it out. All right. So page 321 to 322, she, talking about Jet, began to work from Isabel's grimoire, starting with the easy recipes, chamomile for blessing, hyssop and holly to dispel negative energy. And after a few weeks, she progressed to one of the most complex spells, the dove's heart love charm. She went to the butchers for the heart afterward. So she's not using a live dove. Okay. Just putting that there. Not here anyway. There was all sorts of chatter on Main Street. People peered out their windows as she walked home with her bloody paper bag. She was to prick the heart she had carefully prepared for a client who was to say, my lover's heart will feel this pin and his devotion I will win. There will be no way for him to rest nor sleep until he comes to me to speak. Only when he loves me best will he find peace and with peace rest. That night, the porch light was on. So they're open for business. <laughs> and into yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like toward the end of the book. I guess they're, they were just starting to get into their witch for hire type. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so that was it for, what was that, Rules of Magic? 
Take us to Magic Lessons, Maria's story, which we just finished. Yeah, yeah, we just finished this in our book club. So this one's this one is this a little fresh. This one's nice and fresh. All right, so pages 26 through 27. So the 10th love potion itself is sympathetic magic. I have come to discover through doing the research for this episode, going back to those pages, this excerpt, I was like, oh, I didn't realize that the 10th was sympathetic magic, but here it is. So it says, Rebecca admitted she had cast a spell on her husband years earlier. She had bound him to her, bewitching him with the 10th love potion, a spell far too dangerous for common use. Wrap a red candle on which his name and yours is written on red paper, soak in dove's blood, and burn through the night, saying the words, love conquers all, so it must be. Let him burn with love for me. My lover's heart will feel this pin and his devotion I will win. There will be no way for him to rest or sleep until he comes to me to speak. Only when he loves me best will he find peace and with peace rest. The incantation must be recited while stabbing a dove's heart with seven pins on the seventh day of the week. What do you um, do with it after? Right. Do you bury it? Do you burn it? Like, what I do you do? Think you would, yeah, yeah. Or would it be really fucked up if you had to eat it? That's what I was thinking too. <gasps> like, wow, not even, heavy like, duty. you can't even cook it. You got to eat it raw. Like, that's oh, that's some hardcore that, witch shit. That gave me flashbacks to our placenta episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so gross. But what would you rather eat? A pl- your own placenta or the raw heart of a dove? Can the placenta be cooked? No, either one has to be raw. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> Probably like the whole thing or just a bite? I guess just a Well, I don't know, because if you want to complete the spell, I would think you would have to eat the entire dove's heart. No? Probably the heart because it's smaller. Yeah. 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 I can't imagine a dove heart being that big. It's yeah. probably like chicken livers. You know, they're tiny. Yeah. Yeah. You just pop it in like a little chicken nugget. Like a little chicken nugget. So nasty. A little raw chicken nugget. All right. So page 43. (laughs) Um, So it says sympathetic magic using puppets and lifelike figures. And when revenge was involved, pins and hooks. Dude, sympathetic magic can get pretty dark. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Also on page 43, she did not mind if a subject had to take ill or die in order for her to get her way. A pin and a poppet, a vial of blood, a bird bled to death on the hearth. All of it was in her book, brought to bear when deemed useful. Rebecca, right? Was that Rebecca? Yeah. I feel like in order to get her way, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, remote, she reminds me of Galus from mm. Outlander. Mm-hmm. Has that little bit of a dark aura about her. <laughs> Page 78. Caden was outside tapping at the window. He was relentless and frantic. All the same, Maria didn't let him in. She knew what he would tell her. Burn Mandrake in a brass bowl. Write his name on a candle and throw it far into the sea. Repeat three times. Fly away as fast as you can. Page 78 through 79. It was an ancient conjure Hannah had found in a book of Agrippa's occult philosophy, perhaps part of a powerful manuscript called The Fourth Book. It was among the most potent charms and incantations Maria had copied into her grimoire. You are not mine. I am not yours. You have no power. I walk where I wish. My heart is protected. You are not mine, Maria said under her breath. But she had no pins, no red thread dyed with matter root, no rosemary, no St. John's wort, no mandrake torn from the ground, no myrrh oil, no will of her own, and she stopped the chant before it was complete, in mid-sentence, leaving herself defenseless. That was when he turned to her. I will never love you, she should have said. It was the last line of the invocation. Is that to John? I think so. Mm. Yeah. Page 113. And this is talking about Samuel Diaz. 
Diaz had been stitching, as sailors often did, and he'd made Faith a little poppet doll that she was delighted to be given. Keep it safe, he told her, and the little girl nodded solemnly and clung to the doll. Page 119. Faith was an early walker, and by the summer's end, she often toddled about from table to table with her favorite poppet in hand. Maria laughed to think that her doll had been sewn by a sailor who had fought battles at sea and thought nothing of engaging in bloodshed. She was reminded of Samuel's charm and his open smile and his reckless brand of self-confidence that had made her laugh out loud, for in his opinion, there was nothing he could not do. She looked at the poppet and thought perhaps this was true. Sailors had endless time at sea, hours in which they took up what were ordinarily considered the female arts. They fashioned extraordinary boxes decorated with shells, knit scarves, and learned to sew. So I guess that's why he was so good at making his poppets. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm wondering, do you think Samuel Diaz ever used poppets in like a witchcraft kind of manner? Or do you think it was something he just would make to pass the time on the ship? That's a good question. I don't know. I know like sailor superstition is... Uh -huh huge that's another episode we should do oh my sailor god superstition i love nautical history guys yes. yeah sailor superstitions brenda brenda <laughs> all right yeah i just I, I just wondered like you know do you think he's doing witchcraft too or yeah. is it just like a little hobby that he has i don't know <laughs> like, hobby magician. Hobby. like uh <laughs> fucking ben ben yeah. All right. Page 149. If indeed she was a witch with bad intentions, she could have easily had her revenge. She might have stolen the half-thorn boy and left a changeling in his place, a faceless poppet made of straw. Even an ordinary woman who had been betrayed might have started a fire in the garden, a flame that would have quickly spread to the roof and the gables. But Maria did no such damage. Revenge was not in her nature. Hmm. Was it though? Was it not in her nature? No, uh, it was in faith. It was in faith. Yeah, you're right. Because there was a little bit, there was a little, um, she went through a little dark stint for a little bit, right? When she was trying to find faith. And then remember with Abraham, right. she was like trying to yeah. prolong his life. You're right. I went a little dark too, I think, for mm -hmm. a little bit. I think we do get to that eventually in one of these excerpts but i think it's a little further down pages 173 to 174 maria had Anne cut a lock of her hair and this is turning this is talking about remember that shop girl that was being abused by her husband mm -hmm. okay and That's maria funny. kind of like did this spell for her to kind of get rid of the husband without question and hache was her what, what was her name and <laughs> r.i.p and hache Maria had Anne cut a lock of her hair to burn in a brass dish. This was the end of an old life and the beginning of a new one, and the transitions must be marked. From black cloth and red thread, a small poppet was fashioned, stuffed with blackthorn and cherry bark, and then Anne's husband's name, Nathaniel, was stitched upon the cloth. Anne pierced her finger in the process, and her blood stained the cloth, but she had bled many times before on her husband's behalf. Bastard. The incantation for the end of love was written on a slip of paper that she attached to a candle that burned brightly. Let our bond be broken by the powers above. You will wish to run and you won't look back. When I look for you, nothing will remain. You will not remember me and you will be nothing to me. This was magic that needed words, for literary magic held the greatest power. Once home, Anne was to bury the poppet outside her front door then burn the incantation and walk the perimeter of their property, laying down the ashes. When she went inside the house, she must dust his clothes with salt. This will drive him away, Maria said. Once he leaves, his fate is his own, and neither you nor I are responsible for what happens then. And he disappears, right? Yeah, he's, he, yeah, he's out. He's, he's gone. Page 224 to 225. 
Nothing helped Maria Owens, not even the back pages of the grimoire, which contained no spells from Agrippa and the Key of Solomon, only to be used in the most dire of times. At last, she performed an act of desperation. She lay on her back, naked on the floor, inside a pentagram she had drawn with charcoal. She was surrounded by burning candles, a brass bowl of blood and fingernail clippings, and strands of hair on fire. She had made a small wax figure of Martha, bastard <laughs> that asshole yeah. dude i was listening to our rabbits episode and you were laughing at me calling martha chase an asshole and that i asshole, thought martha chase that asshole martha chase <laughs> just made me laugh she had made a small wax figure of martha that twisted in the heat this was left-handed magic dangerous to one and all use only when you must hannah owens had written in her perfect handwriting and know you will pay a price for doing so there was always a price when magic was used selfishly for the practitioner's own benefit, but Maria no longer cared. There it is. She's going dark here. Mm -hmm. The wax figure was stabbed with a single sharp pin and the wax shuddered as it dissolved. This was sympathetic magic. Do unto an object what you would wish on an individual. One becomes the other. And this, this is some Latin. <laughs> okay, ready for this? I'm ready. Ut omnia quietibi. I don't know. Do you think that's Latin? That that's, sounds like something else. No, it sounds good to me. Is it? Okay. Yeah. So that means take all that you want. Quid anim mihi est mium. Give me what is mine. So Very that, good. That's what that means. I don't know if I said that right, but I tried. <laughs> all right. So page 292 to 293. Faith was thoughtful, biting her lip. Does a person have to pay for any life they've taken? Finney had begun to wash off the carriage, carrying buckets of water from the well. Maria assumed he was the reason Faith had asked about penance. Did he kill Martha? Maria asked. No, Faith said grimly. It was me. There was a film of black behind the girl's pale gray eyes, the mark of guilt. Still, she was a child. No, Maria said. You didn't. I might as well have, Faith admitted. I watched her die. I could have pulled her out of the tide, but I left her there to perish as it rose around her. If anyone was to blame, Maria felt it was herself. She thought of the wax figure and the pins, and the fire that had melted into a black pool as Martha's name was recited. Oh, shit. So Maria killed her. Maria killed her. How about that? I never put that together. How about that? Holy revelation. <laughs> All right. Okay. Fucking A. So yeah, Maria got pretty dark Maria there. Maria killed her. There you go. And then a life for a life. So uh -huh. like her black magic. Abraham. That's Abraham. what killed Abraham. Mm -hmm. ah, it's all connected. It's all connect. It's all making sense now. Uh -huh. You get what you give. You walk into the dark and the darkness abides within you. I wished her ill and tried to cause it to be so, she told her daughter. I use the sort of magic we must never turn to. But Faith is already long gone at that point, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Page 329. Faith certainly didn't intend to leave Keeper behind, for the loyal creature would have leapt into the freezing river to follow her if he must. When the purser went off to see his other duties, Faith withdrew a figure made of hemlock bark. She held a match to it and recited an invocation from the Book of the Raven, watching as the wood melted into a black pool. Each time she recited a spell from the text, she felt a change inside her, as if her blood burned more hotly and her bones became sharper. Her hair was so darkly red, it looked like black in the shadows, as if the person she once was and the child Martha had stolen had magicked into one being. There's magic as a verb again. Mm -hmm. She was made of blood and heart and soul, and it was blood magic that she had practiced. She was no one's little girl now. From a distance, she appeared to be a full-grown woman, and men were attracted to her. She seemed different than other girls. It was the manner in which she looked at the men who stared at her so directly, as if to see who they truly were. When the purser returned, he no longer noticed Keeper and failed to say another word about the wolf's presence. 
In fact, the purser's vision was cloudy and would remain so. It was the first time Faith had used left-handed magic for her own selfish reasons, and later in the evening, when she bit into a slice of bread she'd brought along for her supper, she tasted blood and found that a tooth had been broken. Mm. Blood magic had a price. Faith felt chill, and she wondered if she was about to go too far. What you send out comes back to you threefold. What you give to the world returns in kind. Blood begets blood. <laughs> Page 349 to 350. In her hands was the poppet Samuel Diaz had made on board the Queen Esther when he thought he would die, even though Maria vowed that he wouldn't. Do you believe me? She had asked him once. Should I? He had responded. She took the poppet downstairs, and as she tucked it into the satchel, the fabric tore. It was sailcloth, strong but hastily sewn, a crude toy that Samuel Diaz had told her she must never lose. She'd kept it for 13 years. She had been a girl of 16 then, and was now a woman of nearly 30. When the poppet split open in her hands, she began to cry, an act she should not be capable of, but again and again, Samuel Diaz caused her to weep. Perhaps she had inherited this trait from her father, who could cry in command when he was a player in a tragedy. Maria's tears were hot. They burned through the sailcloth as the poppet split in two. Inside, there was a small blue pouch embroidered with the letters SD. When she emptied the contents, she held seven small diamonds in her hand. He is way too good to her. <laughs> right? Yeah. Way too good to her. Page 366. Faith had the Book of the Raven tucked inside her dress, burning her chest. She had a talisman in hand, made after finding a blackthorn bush in the woods, a wild bitter plum whose shimmering black bark was covered by large black spines. She collected a handful of spines, even though her fingers bled, and she pressed them all into a ball of wax and hatred, a charm to carry with her, which would increase her power and cause this man who was her father pain throughout his body. Something unnameable and incurable. If she attached it to him, the revenge would be threefold, strong enough to burn a hole right through him. What she wished for was that, forever after, throughout history, Hathorne would be remembered as a man who had no conscience as he had called for the murder of 20 innocent people. And that is actually a historical fact, right? Bastard. He was the judge on the Salem Witch Trials and he murdered a lot of innocent people. Okay, so that is it for Magic Lessons. And now we're going to move on to Book of Magic. Okay. So there's a lot in this one too, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, there is. It really ups the ante with the magic in every book. Uh Uh-huh. Page 48. How to exact revenge. How to break another's heart. How to cause a rival to fall ill. How to escape from a cruel man. How to set fires without touching a candle. How to make figures of wax and cloth and blackthorn and scarlet thread that would cause grave result to an intended enemy how to bring on a curse, and more important, how to end it. Page 122 to 123. So Vincent uses elements of sympathetic magic to pinpoint Kylie's location. She's run off, she's missing, and the family has gone to the UK to find her. So Vincent is like the finder, right, of the family. Yeah, yeah, they do deem him as the finder, right? Yeah. It was the proprietor who greeted them at this hour of the night, and he quickly supplied the ingredients Vincent asked for. Rosemary for remembrance, elm to connect with the inner voice, red chestnut for guidance, walnut to free them from shadows and trauma, mandrake to open the door to the other side. All of these were burned in a brass dish. A block of wax held over the heat softened into human shape. Can I have something that belongs to the girl? Vincent asked. So he's making a little puppet. Mm -hmm. For an instant, Sally panicked, but Jillian whispered, you have the ribbons. In her bag, Sally carried two blue ribbons she had always tied around her daughter's wrists when they were babies. She looked through her wallet and found them. I'm not sure which is Kylie's, she told Vincent. He closed his eyes and took the first ribbon. This one. 
He tied the thread around the wax figure, which was placed in the dish with the herbs where it melted. Do you have an atlas? He asked the proprietor. A worn leather tome was brought down from an overstuffed shelf. This is the book that will tell us where she is, Vincent assured Sally. Who is lost can be found. Who is found can be repaired. Who is repaired can be lost. Who is lost can be found once more. He needed an amulet, but nothing in the glass case called to him. He knew that his granddaughters were watching him with critical expressions. He was good at this. He'd been a finder ever since he made his way to Greenwich Village when he discovered who he was. And yet now he was unsure of himself. I feel that so hard. Like, you know what you're doing, but somebody's over your shoulder. Uh-huh. <sighs> yeah. No he pressure. Hadn't used any of his skills for years. Perhaps he'd lost those talents Franny had spoken of. Franny knew what he was thinking. Go on, she said with complete confidence in him. It was then that he thought of the key Jet had sent. He lifted off the chain on which it had been strung, then opened the atlas and let the book fall open where it may. A map of 17th century Europe was sketched in shades of red and black. When Vincent held the key on its chain over the page, it began to swing back and forth, like a pendulum, mm -hmm. faster and faster until it spun in a circle. By the time it stopped on the correct location, the room had grown so cold that beneath the black drapes, the windows were frosted with ice. London, Vincent said. <laughs> That's where she is. So he like meshed sympathetic magic with divination here. Mm -hmm. That's really There's cool. no rules. No rules. No. no rules. Page 173. On the cluttered bedside table, there was a poppet. This is, okay, so Ian is an additional character in this book, and he is like a folklore magician witch guy, but they need his help and he's been spelled, and Sally goes to talk to him to have him help find Kylie. When she goes to his apartment, he is paralyzed by some kind of spell. Yeah. On the cluttered bedside table, there was a poppet, a hand-stitched doll dressed in a white shirt and black pants, its hair long and dark, its faceless features clearly meant to represent the man in question. The entire chest of the doll had been marked with spots of ink, then cut open with a sharp knife. Beside it was a small, bloody bird's heart, blood blistered down onto the floor, forming into pools that scorched the wood. 182. When Franny had already soaked the dark materials that had been left to seal the curse, a poppet, a bird's heart and bones, used rubbing alcohol to lessen their effectiveness. Someone wished to be rid of Ian, that much was clear, or at the very least damage him. Franny tore the soaking wet poppet apart with a darning needle she carried in her purse. In no time the foul doll was nothing more than string and batting, its powers dissolving in a small pile of ash. Franny felt that whoever had set this hex had done so by the book, rather than by the strength of their own magic. All the same, just to make certain, she untied the bundle of bird bones and tossed them out the window. And finally, she burned the red thread that had tied them together over a candle while reciting the incantation that would send the intended malediction back to its original owner. Page 212. Kylie made her way downstairs in the dark and found Tom, who is the like antagonist of the story, and like a distant, distant cousin too. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sprawled on the couch, a book in hand, one he planned to toss into the flame of his small fireplace when he was done. Worthless, he thought, as most books were in his opinion. He was pleased when Kylie appeared, but not surprised. He concocted a knee-dew spell made of wax and pins and a small straw poppet beneath her pillow. He's an asshole. Yeah. I don't remember, but he's the one that fucked with Ian, right? He, he yeah. Yeah, yeah. put the curse or spell on Ian? Yeah. Okay. 258. Tom had broken in, then set out matter root. I think this is explaining the um, spell okay. he just did on Ian. Okay. Then set out matter root mixed with poison, bound with his own hair and fingernails and with the bones of birds and a sympathetic wax figure of Ian. Mm. But the book had turned out to be worthless, turning ice cold in Tom's hands, refusing to give up any of its magic. There were plenty of curses in its pages, violent and blood-tinged. 
dude listen okay real quick listening back i don't know what episode it was but i was reading through and bless your soul like i'm reading shit because <laughs> i have my notes like on the side and i'm following along in the notes while i'm listening uh-huh <laughs> what were you doing <laughs> what was i doing what was i doing <laughs> okay I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. All were binding and irreversible, made of such dark magic they could not be dismantled. But apparently a code was needed to open the book, and Tom hadn't thought of that possibility. 292. When he was young, Vincent had wandered through lower Manhattan to places where left-handed magic could be found. He tried most of it. Sympathetic magic in which wax figures were used along with blood magic in order to get what he wanted, which mostly was his freedom. 295, he, still talking about Vincent, had often looked for sympathetic magic on the Lower East Side, the strong stuff that could intensify an enchantment. He recognized the wicked ingredients on the small kitchen table, black wax, pins, black thread, matter root, belladonna, the berries of lords and ladies, the heart of a dove, a strange white bone, ash, and a black candle. And then lastly, on page 310, Tom brought out a handful of grass poppets bound with black thread meant to represent the people in town he took a knife and slit his skin so that he might sketch a map with his own blood on the floorboards what the fuck that yeah, is this, dedicated yeah, this is when he fucks the whole town yeah. remember yeah with that red rain or whatever uh, the fuck what an asshole there <laughs> that asshole tom lockley that asshole tom lockley dude for for the longest time i was calling him tom haverford <laughs> wait, wait wait wrong guy wrong guy haverford i wonder if tom lockley likes his chicky chicky parm parm Oh, and the appies and nappies. Anyway, go on. Right. There was a church, there was the inn, and the library and the school, the market and the dress shop, and the tea house. And there were the people, those who had dismissed him, defied him, ignored him. They would all get what they deserved, each and every one. Mud and earth, belladonna, lords and ladies, straw and grass, and black threads and horse nettle. So poisonous a user had to wear gloves when handling the herb to make a tincture that would produce the hex. He tore his clothes, then threw the poppet into the fire. It should rage. It should bloom as if it were blood, causing the clouds above to fill with illness. He's just like a big friggin' whiny cry baby. Baby, yeah, exactly. Baby. <laughs> I was like, fuck this guy. A little tantrum. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of sympathetic magic in that last book, huh? Mm. Yeah. She upped the ante with the sympathetic magic. Yeah. All right, so that's it for the book mentions. So now we're going to dive a little deeper into what sympathetic magic is and the different types of sympathetic magic because I didn't know there were a couple different types. So we'll explain all that now. So according to Palomar College in an article titled Anthropology of Religion, Magic and Religion, they say most cultures of the world have religious beliefs that supernatural powers can be compelled or at least influenced to act in certain ways for good or evil purposes by using ritual formulas. These formulas are, in a sense, magic. By performing certain magical acts in a particular way, crops might be improved, game herds replenished, illness cured or avoided, animals and people made fertile. This is very different from television and stage, quote, magic, that depends on sleight of hand tricks and contrived illusions rather than supernatural powers. For those who believe that magic is an effective method for causing supernatural actions, there are two major ways in which this commonly is believed to occur, sympathy and contagion. So sympathetic magic is based on the principle that like produces like. For instance, whatever happens to an image of someone will also happen to them. 
This is the basis for use of voodoo dolls in the folk tradition of Haiti. If someone sticks a pin into the stomach of the doll, the person of whom it is a likeness of will be expected to experience a simultaneous pain in his or her stomach. I lied earlier. I did what? do sympathetic magic when I did that binding thing and I did the like, I bind you and with the picture. Right. Okay, then I, then, then I lied too because I've also binded people. Okay, okay. <laughs> we're liars. All right. Yeah, we are liars. There are multiple kinds. Of, there, there's multiple ways you can do sympathetic magic and sticking a doll with pins is not the only form, which I've not, I've never done that. I'm thinking also, is this sympathetic magic? I want to take one of my grandfather's old shirts and turn it into a pillow. Mm -hmm. So it's like that to me is kind of a sympathetic magic. Like you're hoping that person, the owner of that feels that somewhere, right. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. Because what I've learned, and we go into this a little bit later on, sympathetic magic can also be used for protection, blessing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't only have to be used in a negative way. Fertility. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There's multiple ways to use sympathetic magic, not just the left-handed path, mm -hmm. right? All right. So sympathetic magic is also referred to as imitative magic. Contagious magic is based on the principle that things or persons once in contact can afterwards influence each other. In other words, it is believed that there is a permanent relationship between an individual and any part of his or her body. As a consequence, believers must take special precautions with their hair, fingernails, teeth, clothes, and feces. If anyone obtained these objects, magic could be performed on them, which would cause the person they come from to be affected. For instance, someone could use your fingernail clippings in a magical ritual that would cause you to love them or to fall ill or even die. But feces? Dude, that's hardcore. Man. It is hardcore. I don't I've never gone that far in my yeah. witchcraft, but some people are crazy. Crazy. I used my menstrual blood, but that was about uh, it. Yeah. Yikes. Poopies? No thanks. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. So, in a belief system that uses magic as the most logical explanation for illness, accidents, or other unexpected occurrences, there's no room for natural causes or change. Witchcraft provides the explanation. It can be the cause for most effects. Since it can be practiced in secret, the existence of witchcraft cannot be easily refuted with arguments. Believers are not dissuaded by pointing out that there is no evidence that any witchcraft was used against them. For example, you may wake up in the middle of the night and go to get a drink of water. On the way, you trip over a chair in the dark, which causes you to break your leg. You may be convinced that it was an accident. However, if you believe in witchcraft, you will ask why this accident happened to you and why now. Magic practiced in secret by someone who wants to harm you is the answer. And we get we actually get into this a little bit later on when we talk about Italian folk magic. There's something called the maloico, also known as the evil eye. Oh, and we're going to get into that a little bit later. Like the bracelet. The, yeah, yeah. The evil eye is a huge concept in many different traditions, a lot in like the European traditions, but all over the world. All over the world, the evil eye is like a big thing. But the only reasonable questions are who performed the magic and why. The answers to these questions come through divination, which is a magical procedure by which the cause of a particular event or the future is determined. Once the guilty person is discovered, retribution may be gained by public exposure and punishment or by counter witchcraft. And when we talk about the Malaikyo, we also talk about how to counteract the Malaikyo, how to break those spells or curses. Or when somebody places their evil eye upon you, we also talk about how to break that. So we'll talk about that later. Cool. 
Yeah. Like I grew up hearing my family talk about that. Really? It's the evil eye. Yeah. Yeah. It's some uh, Sicilian uh, gypsy shit. But awesome. No, I love it. Crazy shit. Um, I'm sure. Does Croatia have their own like evil eye? Is it like called a specific mm, thing? Not that I had ever grown up with. Okay. So divination is accomplished by many different methods around the world. Shamans usually go into a trance to find out the answers from their spirit helpers. The ancient Romans divined the outcome of battles or business deals by auto-spying chickens and examining the condition of their livers. Wait, what? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Divination is still popular with many people in the United States today. There are individuals who set up business to divine the future for their clients by examining such things as tea leaves in the bottom of a cup, lines in the hand, and tarot cards. Those are the most, you know, mainstream. I'm, I'm not dissecting any chicken livers to find out if i'm gonna you know get a new job yeah, um, yeah, yeah. but but if, if that's your thing you do you mm-hmm. you know just don't harm any live animals just yeah don't do that yeah get ones that are already dead at the store i don't know <laughs> <laughs> where do you get chicken livers i don't know mm-hmm. I don't eat, butcher I don't eat go to the livers. butcher there you go go to the butcher right so in societies in which magic and witchcraft are accepted as realities mental illness is usually explained as being a consequence of witchcraft or the actions of supernatural beings and forces in nigeria folk cures are licensed by the government to use supernatural means and herbal remedies to cure people who are suffering from mental illness nigeria also licenses doctors trained in western medicine which totally rejects the idea of illness being caused by magic or other supernatural causes however the western trained doctors and the folk cures in nigeria often work cooperatively and send each other patients that they cannot cure with their own approaches that's really interesting i had no idea that the western medicine and nigerian folk magic seeing those kind of cross or intertwine Mm -hmm. is a fascinating concept Mm mm-hmm When witchcraft is a widespread belief in a society, it may be used as a means of social control. Antisocial or otherwise, deviant behavior often results in an individual being labeled as a witch in such societies. Since witches are feared and often ostracized or even killed when discovered, the mere threat of being accused of witchcraft can be sufficient to force people into modal behavior. So here we get more into the two different types of sympathetic magic. The first one is similarity magic, and the second one is contagion magic. Okay. So James George Fraser coined the term, quote, sympathetic magic in the Golden Bough, B-O-U-G-H. This was written in 1889. Richard Andry, however, anticipated Fraser writing of sympathy enchantment in his 1878 Ethnographische Parallelen and Vergleich, I guess, German books. Fraser subcategorized sympathetic magic into two varieties, that relying on similarity and that relying on contact or contagion. If we analyze the principles of thought on which magic is based, they will probably be found to resolve themselves into two. First, that like produces like, or that an effect resembles its cause. And second, that things which have once been in contact with each other continue to act on each other at a distance after the physical contact has been severed. Mm. Which we talked about before, like the fingernails, the hair, like clippings, stuff like that. Uh, Poopies. Poopies. The former principle may be called the law of similarity, the latter the law of contact or contagion. From the first of these principles, namely the law of similarity, the magician infers that he can produce any effect he desires merely by imitating it. From the second, he infers that whatever he does to a material object will affect equally the person with whom the object was once in contact, whether it formed part of his body or not. 
we talked a little bit about that before. Um, this is just kind of reiterating. And then the second one is imitation. And imitation involves using effigies, fetishes, or poppets to affect the environment of people or people themselves. And here is where voodoo dolls come into play. So voodoo dolls are an example of fetishes used in this way. The practitioner uses a lock of hair of the doll to create a link, also known as a tag lock. That's a term I've never heard before. So I'm learning. Yeah, this is brand new to me. Um, So a tag lock, you use this link between the doll and the donor of this lock of hair. In this way, that which happens to the doll will also happen to the person. And before we move on to correspondence, let's elaborate a bit more on tag locks so we can understand this term a little better. So this is from MagicalSpot.com and the title is What is a Tag Lock and How It's Used in Magic? In English, a tag lock is a matted bunch of wool or hair. Metaphysically speaking, a tag lock is a personal item that creates a kind of link to the target. And in magic, if a tag lock is from a person or animal, you might use hair, bodily fluids, a photograph, personal clothing, something bearing their signature, their fingerprints, or paw print, any other item that can create that sympathetic link with your target for your spell. If your target is a location rather than an individual, a suitable tag lock might be a key to the building, some dust from a shelf inside the building, stone from the pathway, a bit of chip paint, etc. Something physical from that location. Or a photograph, you could use two of course. For a business, you might use a business card or some of the stationery with the letterhead on it. The use of the tag lock in the spell can vary. It can be used alone, placed inside a witch bottle, or added to a poppet or other representation items. Yeah. So really anything. You can use mm-hmm. almost anything. Yeah. So just wanted to elaborate a little bit more on what a tag lock is because, like I said before, I've never heard the term before. I started mm-hmm. diving into researching this episode mm-hmm. and I didn't know there was a term for that. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to talk a little bit about correspondence. So correspondence is based on the idea that one can influence something based on its relationship or resemblance to another thing. Many popular beliefs regarding properties of plants, fruits, and vegetables have evolved in the folk medicine of different societies owing to sympathetic magic. This includes beliefs that certain herbs with yellow sap can cure jaundice, that walnuts could strengthen the brain because of the nuts' resemblance to the brain, that red beet juice is good for the blood, that phallic-shaped roots will cure male impotence, etc., etc., and many of these fall under the doctrine. Many traditional societies believe that an effect on one object can cause an analogous effect on another object without an apparent causal link between the two objects. For instance, many folk tales feature a villain whose life exists in another object and who can only be killed if that other object is destroyed. As in the Russian folktale of Koshi the Deathless, for literary versions, see Horcruxes in the Harry Potter books. The Dungeons and Dragons term, I don't know how you say that. Is that lich? Leech? Leech? Has become common in recent fantasy literature. And Mercia Iliad wrote that in Uganda, a barren woman is thought to cause a barren garden and her husband can seek a divorce on purely economic grounds. Oh my God. That's fucked up. Yeah, dude. That's so fucked. Many societies have been documented as believing that instead of requiring an image of an individual, influence can be exerted using something that they have touched or used. Consequently, the inhabitants of Tana Vanatu in the 1970s were cautious when throwing away food or losing a fingernail as they believed these small scraps of personal items could be used to cast a spell causing fevers. Similarly, an 18th century compendium of Russian folk magic describes how someone could be influenced through sprinkling cursed salt 
on a path frequently used by the victim, while a 15th century crown princess of Joseon, Korea is recorded as having cut her husband's lover's shoes into pieces and burnt them. Jeez. Mm. Damn. Getting dork. <laughs> Getting dork. Getting dork. All right. Tell us about hypotheses and about prehistoric sympathetic magic. Sympathetic magic has been considered in relation to Paleolithic cave paintings, such as those in North Africa and Lacou. Fuck if I know. No idea. I've never heard that. L A S C A U X. Lacau. Lachau. There is. Part, uh, which is par- partially based on studies of more modern hunter-gatherer societies, is that the paintings were made by magic practitioners who could potentially be described as shamans. The shamans would retreat into the darkness of the caves and turn to a trance state and then paint images of their visions, perhaps with some notion of drawing power out of the cave walls themselves. This goes some way towards explaining the remoteness of some of the paintings, which often occur deep in small caves. And the variety of subject matter, from prey animals to predators and human handprints. In the book of primitive mythology, Joseph Campbell stated that the paintings, quote-unquote, were associated with the magic of the hunt. For him, this sympathetic magic was akin to a participation mystique, where the paintings drawn in the sanctuary of, quote, timeless principle were acted upon by right. And I have a little bit more about this later, about, like, the cave painting Mm -hmm. stuff. There are academic papers also that I'll link. Guys, I found a YouTube video, which we'll mention a little later on, the chaotic witch ants. I think that's her YouTube name. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw that one. She was talking about the cave paintings a little bit and how they would use the cave paintings to draw themselves having a good hunt. So then, Yeah, I have another YouTube that he talks about that shit, too. And then have a good hunt. All right, cool. have repetitive stuff. We're on the same page. Yeah. Love it. All right. Anyway, in cool. 1933, Leo Frobinus discussed cave paintings in North Africa, pointing out that many of these paintings did not seem to be merely depictions of animals and people. To him, it seemed as if they were acting out a hunt before it began, perhaps mm-hmm. as a concentration of the animal to be killed. In this way, the picture served to secure a successful hunt, while others interpreted the cave images as depictions of hunting accidents or of ceremonies. Robinius believed it was much more likely that, quote, what was undertaken in the paintings was a consecration of the animal affected not through any real confrontation of man and beast, but by a depiction of a concept of the mind. Ooh, Francis Thackeray. What a baller name. Thackeray Banks. Thackeray Banks. Billy Butcherson. Billy Zane. Billy Zane. In 2005, Francis Thackeray published a paper in the journal Antiquity in which he recognized that there was a strong case for the principle of sympathetic magic in Southern Africa in prehistory. For example, a rock engraving from Wonderwork Cave in South Africa dated at least 4,000 years before the present showed a zebra which had probably been, quote, symbolically wounded with incisions on the rump being associated with wounds. Ochre on the engraved slab could represent blood. A prehistoric rock painting in Malacane in Lesotho shows what appears to be men or, or shamans bending forward like animals with two sticks to represent the front legs of an antelope. Thackeray suggests that these men, perhaps shamans or, quote, medicine men, dressed under animal skins, were associated with hunting rituals of the kind recorded by H. Lichtenstein. (laughs) Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, In 1812 in South Africa, in which a hunter simulated an antelope, which was symbolically killed by other hunters, in the belief that this was essential for a successful hunt. Such rituals could be represented in prehistoric art, such as paintings at the Malacane in Lesotho, 
Thackeray suggests that the Melikane. Oh, what is that? <laughs> what is Theranthropes? that? Theranthropes? Oh, I see. This was the extra shit I added on to because I'm like, what the fuck's a Theranthrope? What is that? What is a Theranthrope? Let me fit, let me reread that real quick. Okay. Thackeray suggests that the Malachine Theranthropes are associated with both trance and principles of sympathetic magic and hunting magic. So a Theranthrope is the mythological ability or affliction of an individual to metamorphosize into animals or hybrids by means of shape-shifting. Oh. So like sirens oh. or what else? Like yeah. human humans like, shifting into animals? Yes, like skinwalkers. Werewolves? Werewolves. There you go. Okay. In 2005, the Journal of Antiquity, Francis Thackeray suggests that there is even a photograph of such rituals recorded in 1934 at Logungen in the southern Kalahari, South Africa. Such rituals may have been closely associated with both roan antelopes and eland and other animals. Oh my god. <laughs> in the Brandberg in Namibia, in the so-called, quote, white lady panel recorded by the Abbe Henri Bruel and Arald Prager, there were, quote, symbolic wounds on the belly of the Gemsbach-like Theranthrope. Again, this is more shit I looked up that Evernote shit the bed with and deleted everything. <laughs> so listeners, just go on Wikipedia, which might relate to the principle of sympathetic hunting magic and trance, as suggested by Thackeray in 2013. At the Apollo 11 cave in Namibia, Eric Went discovered mobile art about 30,000 years old, including a stone broken in two pieces, with a gemsbach like theranthrope that closely resembled the Brandberg theranthrope, which Thackeray catalogs as a T1. No idea what that is. Hmm. Both examples of art may be related to sympathetic hunting magic and shamanism. I have a and question. So when it says a gemsbach like theranthrope, what is a gemsbach? Let's click on gemsbach because that's the shit I added. <laughs> Ah, uh, Evernote pisses me the fuck I've off. I've never heard of that term. Gemsbach? Oh, that's right. It's like, it's a South African, like, um, kind of like a gazelle. It's okay. a large. So, so a Gemsbach gazelle type Theranthrope, does that mean it's like half gazelle, half human? Yeah, I think so. Oh my God. Oh my God. That visual is <laughs> interesting. Okay. In 2013, Thackeray emphasized that in Southern Africa, the principle of sympathetic hunting magic and shamanism trance was not mutually exclusive. However, with all prehistory, it is impossible to be certain due to the limited evidence and many pitfalls associated with trying to understand the prehistoric mindset with the modern mind. So this sympathetic magic is so ancient. Mm -hmm. It goes back to the cave paintings. Mm -hmm. Amazing. 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 Mm -hmm. And and how it like transcended space and time and like we still practice this today, this kind of folk magic. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how it made its way to us through history and people still practice it today. I just think that's uh, it's crazy. Yeah. Right. So we mentioned this book a little earlier, The Golden Bough by James Fraser, which, by the way, Fraser, that name, Outlander. Outlander. Hello. Um, what was his name? Jamie. Jamie. James. James Fraser is Jamie <gasps> Fraser. Oh my God. Was this written by Jamie Fraser? It was published in 1890, so probably not. <laughs> um, so you can find this book on Amazon, but there's also an entire wiki page dedicated to this book. And chapter three, the entire chapter three is called Sympathetic Magic. So the Golden Bough attempts to define the shared elements of religious belief. Its thesis is that old religions were fertility cults that revolved around the worship of and periodic sacrifice of a sacred king. Published in 1890, it offered a modernist approach to discussing religion. The impact of the Golden Bow on contemporary European literature was substantial. 
So wow. if you go to this uh this wiki page right here, it's very long. I'm not even going to get into any of this because it's very, very long. So if mm-hmm. you guys are interested, we will link this below. The only part that I want to mention is this like cool little graph that he has. At the top, it says sympathetic magic, laws of sympathy. And then it kind of branches off into two, what do you call those? Little two brackets. Two brackets. One is homeopathic magic and the other is contagious magic. Cool. So homeopathic is the laws of sympathy similarity and contagious laws of contact which we mentioned before and he kind of breaks down each one and kind of like goes into what makes each one what it is so I see a, uh, another graph farther down too i yeah, love a graph yeah and the one further down the top header says magic and then he breaks those down into two categories stemming from that term alone, which is theoretical and practical. There you go. Practical magic. Mm-hmm. So we have theoretical magic, which is using magic as a pseudoscience. And then we have practical magic, which is using magic as a pseudo art. Um, He doesn't break it down into theoretical any further, but he does break down the practical a little further into two more little arms. One side of practical magic is positive magic or sorcery. And then you have negative magic, which is taboo. Cool. Oh, so he breaks down all of this. This is a very this is long, a huge page. Yeah, but if you guys are interested in diving deeper down this rabbit hole, we will link this in our hero page source notes yeah. for sure. So I just thought that was another interesting resource to have if you guys want to learn a little more about that. And then we have this article I found on psychologytoday.com. And this is Sympathetic Magic, The Power of the Image by Graham Collier. Graham says, Homo sapiens in other words, us, members of the human species, as evolved over countless years. Yet the homo or hominid part, which basically connotes the factual biological side of our existence, is much more verifiable and explainable due to discoveries in anthropology and archaeology than is the sapiens part. For here, we are not dealing with the tangible physical aspects of human being, but with the range of intangible psychological forces that drive consciousness reason, intelligence, intuition, imagination, creativity, not to mention the influence of the theoretical mental force we term the human spirit. Opinions vary as to just when, in the distant past, the development and combining of Homo and Sapiens occurred, when physical abilities and mental faculties form their operating union the kind of working relationship exemplified by the title of this particular blog, where the image is the result of the sense perception and the magic of an imaginative psychological involvement, fact and fancy working hand in hand. So essentially the term sympathy signifies the urge and ability to enter into another person's or creature's mental state, be it that of your best friend or of your dog's, and feel both an affinity with and a compassion for the state of their existence. As such, it represents a primary awareness of the experience we call love. So Hmm. you ask, where does the term magic come from? Well, if we go back to what we previously thought were the earliest man-made prehistoric images created in the cave complexes of Altamura in Spain and again, that place Lachau in France, say 20,000 to 15,000 BC. The paintings of animals discovered there displayed an acuity of visual perception a drawing skill and expression of, quote, feeling for the animal that can certainly be described as, quote, sympathetic and the equal of any drawings and paintings produced since. And one of the world's most distinguished anthropologists, Henry Bruhl, added the word, quote, magic 
in describing them, denoting the archetypal belief held by many so-called, quote, primitive societies that to possess the image of an animal so vital for the hunter's own survival ensures a degree of human control over the animal's destiny when it comes to the hunt. In addition, pre-hunt rituals involving the image were intended to assure the animal spirit that it would not be hunted without mercy. Oh, wow. That's pretty interesting. So they, I guess, wanted to do that in the cave paintings. I guess they kind of portrayed that in the cave paintings that it would be a merciful hunt. It, it almost sounds like, too, that they were honoring. They're like, we know we have to go out and eat, but we have to kill this animal, probably hunting right. that specific animal. But this animal's picture will be forever immortalized, you know, yeah. and honored for sustaining us. Yeah, and they they tried to do that in the most humane way because when we think of sympathy, it's like we feel other people's, well, empathy more, but like sympathy, like you feel that other person's pain. Right. Mm -hmm. So I guess that was their way of ensuring that the animal didn't go through that much pain in order mm -hmm. to sustain them. So the earliest of such magic promoting images, carbon dating around 40,000 BC, were discovered in the Chauvet Cave in southwest France only some 20 years ago. Moreover, it should be pointed out that these paintings are in the more remote cave quote, galleries, regions not used for human occupation, so they cannot be said to simply be a form of, quote, decoration. Which brings us to consider the modern photograph of someone close to us as an image magically functioning in the same way as prehistoric cave art. If such is the case, then it would seem that the passing of 40,000 years has not substantially changed the way human consciousness works to promote such irrational and imaginatively charged thoughts and feelings, quote, magic, if you like. Well, let me give you just two instances that suggest the survival of these prehistoric levels of consciousness despite our sophisticated way of life in this day and age. During World War II, a Lancaster aircraft taking off on a mission to bomb Berlin turned back on reaching 1,200 feet to circle and land on the aerodrome's nighttime operative runway. The aircraft was carrying a 4,000-pound bomb plus clusters of incendiaries. And not only did this maneuver prevent other aircraft from taking off, but landing with a full bomb load could have blown the whole place up. Flying Officer Smith was arrested and later court-martialed. His defense was that he had forgotten to put the three photographs of his wife and two children into his tunic pockets, his normal practice, and therefore was deprived of the talismanic protection these images provided. Mm. So he came back to collect them. Then that goes totally into like people who like gamble or like bet on horses and uh -huh. all their like superstitious stuff that they have to do before they bet. Like blow on a dice or whatever. Yeah, like, or like, like when they watch the big game, you know, all this stuff they wear. Yeah, I was watching... What, what show is I just watching? Tomorrowland or Tomorrow something mm -hmm. with Billy Crudup. It's about they think that there's like a plot of land up on the moon. So they're selling okay. these fake packages. They're like conning people into buying these packages to go live up on the moon. Has nothing to do with what I'm going to say right now. But there's, like, <laughs> there's, there's a character in the show and he drinks milk while his game is on to ensure that the game that his team is going to win. Ugh. By the end of one of the episodes, he he's like drank so much milk that he just gets like so sick because oh. like, his game is like still going and he's like trying to make sure that his team <laughs> wins. So funny. Yeah. And then like, so the biggest thing like would be a football jersey. Like uh -huh. people who wear their favorite team members football jersey, they are like yeah. putting that putting that energy and sympathetic magic into that player by having their name and number on them, which is right. Interesting. Yeah. It's so crazy how like these little rituals are so ingrained into like our everyday mundane society. Like people are practicing sympathetic magic and they don't even realize it. They don't it. even know. Right. You're all witches. Everyone's all you Christians. 
You're all fucking witches. He was a fucking witch. Yeah. Going back to this story. Okay, so he came back to collect his wife's and children's pictures. So it says, some years ago, lecturing at the University of Georgia, I was talking about Paleolithic cave art and showing a slide of the red deer of Leschau while discussing the sympathetic magic hunting ritual and noticed one particular student smiling rather patronizingly, dismissively, at such naivety on the hunter's part. Walking up the aisle, I asked him if he thought the whole idea of such a form of, quote, possession was somewhat ridiculous. Of course, he replied, don't you? Without responding to the question, I asked if he had a photo of someone he cared for. Yes, he said. I have one of my mother. May I look at it? Said I. Of course, he replied, pulling out his wallet. Well, she's a very handsome woman. I suppose you have a negative? Oh, yes, he replied. I pulled a Swiss army knife out of my pocket, opened up the blade. Well, then you won't mind if I just scratch a swastika on this print Mm. and made as if to do so? No, he said in some alarm. Don't do that. I pretended to go ahead. Stop, he shouted, and he pulled the photograph out of my hand. Well, of course, said I. I never intended to deface the photo, but it does seem that you still have something in common, even though it's 20,000 years on, with the Paleolithic man. Do you feel that if your mother's image is damaged, something bad might happen to her? He did not reply. Got him. Got him. (laughs) Yeah. So we all believe in things like this. Mm -hmm. No matter what religion you are, it's been ingrained into us. It has since the beginning of time, it sounds like, right? Beginning of time. That's right. So I just thought that was a really interesting article just to show how sympathetic magic is just, it's more mainstream than we think. And we have more to come. Oh, <laughs> like a lot oh, more. Yes, so much so, more to come. Let's um, take a quick wanna- break. Yeah. And when we come back, we'll do a card pull from the Inner Witch Oracle. And then we're going to dive deep on some of the cultural aspects of sympathetic magic. And also, is there a difference between voodoo dolls and poppets? When we return, we'll hash out the differences between the two and give you some tips on just how to make your own and how to incorporate them into your own practice. So stick around. We'll be right back. You sounded so Southern. We'll be right back. <laughs> Should I do it again? No, no. It's fine. Hey, we're the Stinas, and you're listening to the Magnolia Street Podcast. I've been watching a lot of Farmer Wants a Wife. (laughs) What is that show? It's awful, but the... The Waba girls, you know, they were going to do their like simply captivating thing. And they ended up doing it about this show, The Farmer okay. Wants a Wife. And it's a dating show. And it's exactly what you think it is. But they deconstruct every episode verbally. So I listened to the first two and I was like, fuck, I'm you, hooked. <laughs> so I went intrigued? and watched the show. That's so funny. It's so good. Wait, is it's that on, good at all? Is that on it's their really regular good. scheduled program or is that over on their Patreon? They have the first two episodes public and then the rest are on Patreon, which yeah. we have. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, so I'm going to have to go check that they're out. They're funny as shit. I'm like, this is, <laughs> I hope we sound like this because they're fucking funny. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Oh, that was nice. You like that? Yeah, I like that. That kind of sounded like that song from Lost. Do you ever watch Lost? You are no. everybody. No. How many seasons of Lost are there? Oh, geez. Oh, quite a bit. Probably like six or seven or something. Okay. Like that. I don't yeah. know. That's a pretty good show. Okay. I'm going to watch it again now. <laughs> You're not going to watch it again. You need to watch Downton Abbey. Oh, yes, I do. Dude, I could totally restart that with you. And then we could do a whole side hustle where we just talk about Downton Abbey. Love it. I told you, my mom's going to like be so pissed at me because I to- like every time she mentions that I should watch it, I'm like, yeah, I'll get around to it. I think you should watch it with her. I think you should have All her right. over one Friday night and be like, okay, mom, I'm getting into it. What platform is that streaming on anyway? I'm not sure anymore. Amazon? I'll have to look at it. All right. Hold on. Let me make sure all the deck cards are out. 
because those are all fucking up my flow. <laughs> okay. I don't know what I could possibly pull that would make sense for this because I don't know if there's any... There's, is there no dove? Oh, no, wait. Yeah, I think there might be. So, okay, let's see. It, 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 we could get that. We could not. Okay. All right. So tell me when to stop. Stop. Garden gate. We pulled that one already. Did we pull the one? Okay, sh- sh- should we just read the fucking dove card then? Yeah, let's read the fucking dove card. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let me find it. Where are you? Wait, is it a dove card? Maybe it's not. Huh. Sparrow. It's a sparrow. Yeah, it's not a dove. It's a sparrow. And there are no pins involved in this card. So that's interesting. I'm just making sure there's no dove in here. This must be a nod to the book, not the movie then. Because there was no sparrow in the movie, right? There was no sparrow in the movie, correct. Right. So So then do another shuffle. It's all right. I'll read sparrow. Okay. It's the closest thing to the dove, so. Faith did use the sparrow in her magic. That's right. She did. Is that the thing that she baked into the pie for Hathorne? Yeah. All right. So sparrow. The keyword on this card is trouble. So when the sparrow comes up, the divine is telling you to prepare and pay attention. With this card comes turbulent and unstable energy. There may be some current issues or struggles on the horizon. Prepare and learn from these issues and events. With struggle and challenge comes great knowledge and growth. You can overcome this. Known in most folklore as messengers, this tiny bird is something to pay attention to. Learn from this steadfast creature and buckle down. To better connect with this card, utilize its energy, a candle, pen, and piece of paper. Write the affirmation on the paper carry it with you or leave on your altar when you're ready tear your paper and burn it and the mantra on this card is i embrace the chaos and learn from any struggles and there's actually two keywords on this card trouble and challenges Mm. that does give in some uh sympathetic magic vibes it does yeah when i think of before we educated ourselves when i think of sympathetic magic or poppets or voodoo dolls you're usually like either in trouble trying to gain control you know, ch- trying to get that control back in the situation mm-hmm. over somebody else or such. Situ- yeah. Yeah. Right. So that's the only thing I could think of. Sympathetic magic. I feel like it's like trying to get the upper hand in the situation, mm-hmm. you know? And the the mantra here, the, I embrace the chaos and learn from any struggles. I feel like it is a little cha- chaotic. It's got a little bit of a chaotic energy, right? Sympathetic magic. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it's kind of dark. Yeah, yeah. It depends. I guess we'll talk about the options of it not being as dark, but from movie and film and tv that's all we know it as yeah i feel like pop culture has painted it in a darker light but even what we were saying before like using it doing these little little rituals to ensure your favorite football team wins or uh, winning in gambling or whatever like we incorporate little bits of sympathetic magic more than we realize we do Mm -hmm. into just small little little things we don't even think about Mm -hmm. um so it could be innocent, but it can also have a dark side. So yeah. it's a weird thing. I don't know. Let's keep talking about it. Yeah, we're going to get into some cultural aspects of sympathetic magic. And this is from learnreligions.com. And we will link this down below. In 1925, anthropologist Harlan I. Smith published Sympathetic Magic and Witchcraft among the Bella Coola. And this is what you were talking about a little earlier, right? Um, yeah, we'll talk about that in a second. Okay. So with this book, he looks at the cultural aspects of sympathetic magic among an indigenous group in the Pacific Northwest. The New Hulk, spelt N-U-X-A-L-K, these people call themselves 
the New Holcomb. A century ago, anthropologists called them the Bellacula. Traditional New Hulk territory is the central coast of British Columbia, from the mouth of the Bellacula River inland along the Bellacula Valley and nearby inlets and channels. So I wanted to dig a little deeper, and again, our note-taking app shit the bed, so all of the information is gone, so I'll just try to rip off the top of my head. I was like, oh, interesting. Written in 1925. I want to see where this takes me. It brought me to a site. You can actually read. It's a six-page short little bitty paper about the Bella Coola and we'll link it but the link brought me to a site called jester.org j-s-t-o-r and uh, my mind exploded because it is basically a hub for academic journals medical writings and I signed up sup for it so we have a little workspace and you can type in keywords and it brought me right to the text you can read through this man's writing from 1925 but also there were some other things that I found relating to some Sympathetic magic. We'll link all of this, but this source is like a game changer because A, it has stuff that dates back to the turn of the century. B, we've learned through our podcast that not everything, even if it's historical, not everything is always accurate. So using this is going to be kind of interesting to see what their like frame of mind maybe might have been on that subject at the time. But there are other sympathetic magic writings. There was one from 1964 called Sexual Sympathetic Magic in Han China. There's the Sympathetic Magic of Western American Rock Paintings. So if you go to the site and type in Sympathetic Magic, if that's your thing, there are over 29,000 results on sympathetic magic alone on sympathetic magic alone they all come from journals but this site has everything from folklore to business to medicine it also does have the golden bow and the incorporation of magic in science fiction they have more about the cave art oh this is the other one i really wanted to touch on was the sympathetic magic in the mountains of kentucky so some curious folk survival superstitions it's only a couple pages we won't get too too into it because we have so much more but there's also poems more cave art stuff so jester.com i'm a fan it's really really cool so that's what i, what I wanted to say so that bella Coola, just th- seeing that i was like what the fuck is this yeah. what is this can i find this because it was like published i didn't know if it was a book i didn't know what it was so i i did link it it's in our notes okay okay go ahead so the rest of this paragraph this is still from learnreligions.com so this is still talking about harlan i smith he says that the magic practice among the bella Coola tribe was generally based on the properties of plants and animals and cited a number of examples. For instance, if parents wanted their baby girl to grow up to be a fast and efficient berry picker, the ring of skin from between two cuts around a beaver's foreleg was put on her wrist and left until it fell off. Oh my god. A baby boy, on the other hand, was destined to become a strong man if his father threw the skin of a grizzly bear over him. Hmm. So soft. Yeah. A perfect example of sympathetic magic is the use of the poppet or doll in magical workings. The poppet has been around for a long time, and there is documentation that the ancient Greeks and Egyptians used them. Long before pop culture discovered voodoo dolls, as we know it, right? (laughs) A doll is used to represent a person, and the magical acts performed on the doll are then reflected on the person, him or herself. Using sympathetic magic is a great way to bring about healing, prosperity, love, or any other magical goal you can think of. So it doesn't all only have to be used for darkness. Do you see Coraline right now? Look at her. I was watching her. She's, she's like, being, she's being this. so snuggly. Love it. Um, so talk about some of the Norse magic, specifically pagan rituals. We can speak about blood. The Norse and Germanic spirituality. Oh, real quick. Hang on. I didn't title it. This is from a video and I just took the transcript from it. So it might sound a little weird. And there are like repetitive things we've already talked about. 
Okay. So, so if it's a little wonky, it's just because it's how he was talking. All right. Do you want to read this one? What video? Do you know what video? Do you remember what video? Yeah. It's yeah. It's like the second video. God damn it. What's his name? What a mess. <laughs> I don't know what happened with this, with these notes. All right. So this little bit is from the YouTuber Norse Magic and Beliefs. And it might talk about some of the things we already went over, but he does talk about Norse mythology, which we haven't touched on yet. I think he associates, you know, with that spirituality. So he's talking about Norse magic, specifically with pagan rituals. And he wants to talk about the blood that we see a lot of that, even in depictions on the screen these days of like how popular it is to use the blood in ritual. Mm -hmm. So the Norse and Germanic spirituality was always sprinkling blood on their altars and on piles of stones that they were going to be using to make their offerings. Or they would use some sort of red coloring to write their inscriptions on their magical objects. The blood was believed to contain, as it does all over the world, a part of that life force. Even in fertility rituals, they were very, very important and done frequently. Fertility rituals were a big one. You see that also in ancient Rome, in Christianity, but of course, similar things were done all over Europe. And in the North, various harvest festivals, they were used to welcome, you know, the new crop. At harvest festivals, they were planting seeds. The chieftain or king would dress up as the fertility god at the time or the rain god or be Jupiter in Rome. Scandinavia also did this in honor of their gods. There would be a woman who would dress up as the princess or the earthly goddess in the myths, and they would have sex. Sometimes they'd have it in front of the whole village. And the idea was that you would plow and shoot your seed into the woman okay. so that the crops and the seed can then be planted and grow in the same nature. And this would of course bring about good crops and fertility for the upcoming year question corn dollies would that be considered because i know like corn dollies they would use that those in like festivals to bring what you were just talking about kind of abundance right to your crop or whatever so wondering if that would be considered sympathetic magic even though you're not necessarily using the corn dollies like a voodoo doll per se you're not stabbing it with pins but you're still using it to represent i guess your garden or your land and the abundance that you hope to bring forth to it absolutely yeah cool So another one is he talks about the various tribes in Africa. And when men would go into battles, the women would follow at a short distance behind. And the women, I guess, would take melons or large fruit shaped like heads. And then they would chop the melons in half as a representation. It would be believed to be helping their men chop off the heads of the armies that they were fighting. And the women would sometimes even dress up as men carrying weapons in order to intimidate the opposing forces in battle as a use of sympathetic magic. And in the German world, this is kind of the same thing we see with the Norse women being Valkyries at the time. This also explains that the very small handful of females from the Viking Age were buried with weapons also. So he goes on to ask, like, are we supposed to believe that sympathetic magic actually works? Like, you stab the voodoo doll and that guy is going to die? No, but then he brings up the concept of that scene from Pirates of the Caribbean where Jack Sparrow is offered a jar of dirt, right? How's the scene go? So Davy Jones can can't make it to port. He can't step on land, but once every 10 years. So Jack goes to Tia Dalma and she gives him a jar of dirt. And he says, dirt, this is a jar of dirt. And she says, yes. Is this jar of dirt going to help? If you don't want it, give it back. She says, no, he says, 
then it helps. So he keeps it. He doesn't know why he's keeping it. Uh-huh. But you do find out that that dirt is a symbolic, sympathetic magic used to help Davy Jones get to land. He's carry- basically carrying the land with him. Okay. I guess he gives it to Davy Jones and then he can walk freely. I don't remember, perhaps. but I, I do remember seeing that clip of him. Like, he's like, I got to dive dirt. I got to mm-hmm. dive <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Love it. So Jack would carry the land with him at all times. This explanation eased Jack's mind and superstitions. I guess she explains to him that mm-hmm. he'll be able to walk on land so i thought that was interesting yeah that is interesting i'd even like i said you don't pick things out that you would consider sympathetic magic i like how she's like well then give it back and he's like no and she's like well then it helps (laughs) (laughs) it's like that guy with the wife's picture yeah all right then i'll draw a swastika on it no don't do it okay well then there you go there you go (laughs) all right so we're going to talk a little bit more about poppets versus voodoo dolls is there a difference because they're both dolls so what is the difference voodoo dolls are specific specific to the voodoo religion. And poppets are a more generalized term that spreads across all forms of this practice and appear all over the world throughout history. Every culture probably has their own version of a poppet or a doll. But voodoo dolls specifically, we'll talk about where they're from in a second. We are not practitioners and we aren't going to try and expand too much on the topic of voodoo, also spelled V-O-D-O-U. But we just want to share with you how learnreligions.com describes the practice just for research sake. So voodoo, V-O-O-D-O-O, as we most commonly know the spelling, it's more properly spelled voodoo or V-O-D-O-U. This is a real religion. It's not a cult. This is practiced in Haiti and other places in the Caribbean. And voodoo practitioners, they do make dolls, but they use them for completely different purposes than revenge. Voodoo dolls are used to help people with healing and as a way to communicate with the deceased loved ones. So the idea of effigy dolls as a channel for evil forces unleashed in a ritual is a myth. And that myth does not come from the Caribbean, but from the very heart of Western civilization. Because as we see in pop culture, the West likes to take these traditions and these folk practices and make them into something evil, something that they're... Twist them up a little bit. Yeah. Hollywood has done wonders with making anything of magical nature just look completely just evil, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But people of the Caribbean culture, they do not use the voodoo dolls for these reasons. So the voodoo dolls that are sold in shops in New Orleans and elsewhere are small human effigies made from two sticks tied in a cross shape to make a body with two arms sticking out. The shape is often covered in a brightly colored triangle of cloth and sometimes Spanish moss is used to fill out the body form. The head is of black cloth or wood and it often has rudimentary facial features, eyes, nose, and a mouth. They are often decorated with feathers and sequins, and they come with a pin or a dagger and instructions on how to use it. These voodoo dolls are strictly made for the tourist market in places like New Orleans or the Caribbean, where they are sold as inexpensive mementos in tourist shops, in open-air markets, and thrown during parades. They are not used by actual voodoo practitioners. So just want to throw that out there. They're solely for tourist attraction and a souvenir. So figurines in world mythology. Human effigies such as the voodoo dolls, both the authentic ones and the ones sold in shops, are examples of figurines, representations of humans that are characteristic of many different cultures, beginning with the Upper Paleolithic so-called, quote, Venus figurines. Such images are of idealized heroes or deities, or perhaps very carefully modeled representations of a recognizable historical or legendary figure. There are many ideas about their purposes, none which include revenge. (laughs) Again, (laughs) 
Pop culture made that up. Yeah. The oldest examples of figurines that were made specifically to harm or affect another individual date to Assyrian rituals from the first millennium BCE, such as Bronze Age, Akkadian texts, 8th through 6th centuries BCE, a tradition also practiced in Greco-Roman Egypt of the first and second century CE. In Egypt, dolls were made and then a binding curse was performed, sometimes accompanied by poking pins in them. So I guess that's where the pop culture gets it from. Not from the Caribbean or New Orleans, but from mm. Egypt. In Egypt, dolls were made and then a binding curse was performed, sometimes accomplished by poking pins in them. One Mesopotamian inscription from the 7th century BCE reveals one king cursing another. Just as one burns a wax figure in fire, dissolves a clay one in water, so may they burn your figure in fire and submerge it in water. The idea of evil voodoo dolls, as seen in Hollywood horror films, may be much younger from the 1950s, when thousands of cashew dolls were imported to the United States from Haiti. Okay, so Haiti is like the Caribbean kind of area, right? Mm -hmm. These were made of cashew shells and had eyes made of the jequirity bean. Never heard of that. A form of castor bean, which when swallowed by young children can cause serious injury or even death. Wow. Yeah. The U.S. government issued a public health warning in 1958, which said that the dolls were lethal. Oh my god. All right, so what are voodoo dolls for? People who practice the voodoo religion in Haiti do use dolls as part of a tradition brought with them from West Africa, incorporating small effigies known as fetish or bocio for rituals, B-O-C-I-O. When these people were forced to the New World as slaves, they brought their doll tradition with them. Some of the Africans then merged their traditional tribal religion with Roman Catholicism, and the voodoo religion came to be. Right, because isn't Fat Tuesday, isn't that a Catholic thing? Mm -hmm. Like, It's the start of Lent. Yeah, it's like the last day before you're fasting. They wanted to continue with their practices, but mm -hmm. at the time, the Catholic Church, you know, all the missionaries, they were trying to convert these people, so they found a way to mesh those two religions. And I know they have saints they pray to and different deities similar to Catholics. Right. Right. Yeah. Let's be honest. These Catholics are still trying to convert people. <laughs> I know. I thought you were going to say, let's be honest. We don't know Catholicism anymore. Like, well, that we're too. Out. We're well, out. I'm just like, when my doorbell rings and I'm, I'm like, get off my porch. We gave our notes back on Catholicism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't need these anymore. No, thank you. <laughs> so the rituals in West Africa or in Haiti or New Orleans involving dolls, however, have nothing to do with inflicting harm on individuals deserving or not. Instead, they are meant to heal. When hung from trees in cemeteries, they are intended to open and maintain lines of communication between the recently departed. When tacked to the trees upside down, they are intended to make their creators stop caring for someone who is bad for them. Interesting. Mm -hmm. All right, so now we're going to talk about the voodoo pwen. P-W-E-N. So items that voodoo sans, that's a new word I've never heard. I guess somebody who conducts voodoo or who practices. I voodoo. like it. Items that voodoo sans use in rituals to communicate or invoke deities known as Iwa or Iowa are called Pwen. In voodoo, a Pwen is an item filled with particular components that appeal to a particular Iwa. They are meant to attract an Iwa and gain its influences for a person or place. However, Pwen come in a variety of forms. One of those happens to be dolls. Voodoo sans say that a puen doesn't even have to be a physical object. A puen doll can be anything from a crude poppet to an elaborate work of art. On the surface, these dolls could be called voodoo dolls, but as with all puen, their purpose is not to enact harm, but to invoke Iwa for means of healing, guidance, or whatever need the voodoo sant has. 
So the kind of reminds me of like, did you ever see those, what are they called? Kachina dolls or worry dolls? I've seen those, but it was saying also that it doesn't have to necessarily be a physical item or it can be a work of art, which reminds uh-huh. me of the portrait of Dorian Gray, which I think we have a little on later. Have you seen that or read that book? No, I haven't read the book, but I know I know what you mean. Do you remember Ghostbusters? That portrait of that guy? Yeah. That was mm-hmm. that reminds me of that as well. Interesting. Interesting stuff. Uh, but yeah, the worry dolls, I think that's a Mexican culture belief. I don't know if this is accurate, but I remember getting these like on a trip to Mexico as a kid. Like they come in the one of those little straw wicker little baskets. Yeah, this like a little bassinet. And I think you're supposed to sleep with them under your pillow. And when yeah. you dream, those dolls are supposed to absorb all of your bad dreams. So they're called worry dolls. So they absorb all of your worry and nightmares. Like a dream catcher too. Exactly. Exactly. So just yeah. another culture using some kind of doll as a means of sympathetic magic. Exactly. A little more from learnreligions.com. Freaking killer site. Like really good site. It is a really good site. This is um, by Patty Wigginton and it's entitled What Are Magical Poppets? So a little since we did the voodoo doll, let's talk about poppets now. So magical poppet is one of the most commonly used implements in sympathetic magic, which follows along on the theory that quote unquote like attracts like. Although TV shows and movies typically show poppets as the stereotypical voodoo doll we just talked about, which if you look up actual Haitian voodoo dolls, they are like, whoa, 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 <laughs> not Here, anything right. like I've ever seen before. Right. Poppets have been around for a long time and used in a number of different cultures and religious belief systems. There are many ways to create a poppet and they can be used to harm or heal. If you create a poppet of a person, anything done to the poppet will affect the person it represents. Bear in mind that some magical traditions discourage the use of poppets. If you're not sure whether or not it's okay for you to use poppet magic, you may want to check with someone in your tradition. If you're a solitary practitioner, whatever. But if you're part of a coven, just double check. You know, some people have been at it a little longer and it can guide you. Yeah, question. Do you know off the top of your head any traditions that look down upon the use of poppets? I don't. No, off the top of my head. A poppet is usually made of cloth or fabric, but you can also make one from clay, wax, wood, or just any other material. Justina and I talked about the corn dollies. You can fill your poppet with herbs, stones, bits of wood, paper, anything else that suits your needs. In addition to magical items, it's a good idea to include some cotton or polyfill as stuffing material. Once the poppet is created, you'll need to connect it to the person in which it represents, which is typically done by using a magical link of some sort. What was it called? A tag link? Tag lock. Tag lock. Remember that the poppet is a useful magical tool and can be used in a variety of workings. Use it for healing, to banish harmful people from your life, and to bring abundance your way. The choices are practically limitless. Um, Have you ever made any kind of poppet before? I I made a corn dolly. I I bring out every year. Nice. I made one out of felt. It was like a straw berry shape. I love making poppets that are not like shaped like people. Little food poppet. Little food poppet. I made it for the strawberry full moon like a couple of Junes ago. Oh, cool. And just to like, I guess, encourage abundance in my garden for the strawberry moon. And I like stuffing my little poppets. I like stuffing them, obviously herbs and little crystals, etc. But I also included some kitty whiskers from the kitty cats. Um, When I find their whiskers laying around the house while I'm cleaning, I put them all in a little jar and I include them like you know spell work mm-hmm. including aren't they pokey yeah. they're kind of they're kind of pokey they are yeah they are a little pokey but i included a couple little ones in my little strawberry poppet cool man yeah. tell us where poppets show up in like more ancient history when most people think of a poppet they automatically think of the voodoo doll thanks to this item's negative portrayal in movies and on television which we've talked about before however the use of dolls in sympathetic magic goes back several millennia 
back in the days of ancient Egypt, the enemies of Ramses III, who were numerous and included some of his harem women and at least one high-ranking official, used wax images of the pharaoh to bring about his death. Let's look at some of the historical uses of poppets in spell work. So the first one is the Greek Colossi. It wasn't uncommon for the Greeks to use sympathetic magic in workings related to love or war. Christopher Farron, professor of classical languages and literatures at the University of Chicago, is one of the foremost authorities on Greek magic today, and says that Greek poppets called kolossoi or kolossi were sometimes used to restrain a ghost or even a dangerous deity, or to bind two lovers together. In Idol 2, The Witch, written about 200 BCE, the tragedian Theocritus refers to melting and burning wax dolls. He relates the tale of Sametha, rejected by Delphis, attempts to get her lover back with magic. So just a couple pieces of literature that incorporates wow. sympathetic magic. Next up, we have the princess who played with dolls. Wax dolls certainly weren't limited to the ancient classical world. The one-time princess of Wales, Caroline of Brunswick, was married to the man who later became King George IV and evidently couldn't stand him. She spent many hours forming wax dolls of her husband and jabbing them with pins. <laughs> Holy shit. Although there's no concrete evidence as to what this may have done to George, when Caroline ran off to Italy with her young lover, George didn't object. The royal couple remained married, but lived separately until Caroline's death in 1821, according to Witchcraft and Evidence in Early Modern England by Malcolm Gaskill. <laughs> wow. Dude, I told you about Avi snoring the other night. I'm going to make yeah. an Avi pop it and just shove a sock down its mouth because oh my gosh. I could not fucking sleep. <laughs> or put a clothespin on his nose. There you go. There you go. That's better. Yeah. You could, you could depict him sleeping peacefully and like Aww. quietly, like with a little, like a, like a zipper on his mouth with or something. A zip on the lip. I like yeah, that too. Or button, a little button on his lip. Yeah. <laughs> Poor yeah. I know. He's, he's such a snorer. Sometimes I'm just like, shut up. All right, so picking back up with West African fetish magic. West African slaves brought with them a doll called a fetish when they were forced to leave their homes and come to the American colonies. In this case, the doll is not so much representative of an individual, but is in fact possessed by spirits connected to the doll's owner. A fetish contains significant power and is typically worn or carried by its owner as a talisman. During America's colonial period, slave owners were allowed to kill any slave found with a fetish in his possession. Are we going to have a whole episode just about talismans and amulets? I oh, think. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll expand more on that another time. Yeah. yeah. In American hoodoo and folk magic, the use of puppets as a magical tool became popular following the Civil War. There is some dispute as to whether the dolls are used at all in Haiti, which is the home of the voodoo religion. And a few sources disagree on whether the use of poppets is truly a voodooan practice or not. However, the Voodoo Museum of New Orleans does stock a variety of dolls in their gift shop. Regardless of how you make your poppet out of cloth, a chunk of meat, or a globe of wax, remember that poppets have glob. a... Oh, did I say globe? Makes <laughs> sense too, though. A glob of wax. Remember that poppets have a long tradition behind them, and that tradition is influenced by the magical practices of a wide range of cultures. Treat your poppets well, 
and they will do the same for you. Cool. Here's some information. This is still from Learn Religions. Um, if you guys want to make your own poppet, uh, me and Christina told you a little bit before about how we've made poppets, but here's some additional ideas. So, Christina, would it be a cool? I don't know if you would want to do this, but make poppets of ourselves, like fill it with like good things. I don't oh. know, like good things we love, or if we're feeling, I don't know, like sad one day, you wrap it in a little blanket. Oh. I don't know. I love that. It's a fun little project, a little yeah. Patreon project. That's cute. All right. Okay, that's it. <laughs> okay, we're going to tell you how to make your own poppet. <laughs> All right, tell us how to make our own poppets. And it can be as simple or as elaborate as you like. It all depends on how much time and effort you want to put into it, like anything else. Mm -hmm. You can construct one just out of any material, really. Cloth, clay, wood, wax. Um, use your imagination. In some magical traditions, it's believed that the more work you put into it and the more complex it is, the stronger your link will be with your goal. Because a poppet is a device for sympathetic magic, all of its components will be symbols of what you hope to achieve. You know what else could be considered sympathetic magic is a honey drawer. I really oh, wanted to make one yeah. for somebody who I felt was like not being very nice. Okay. Um, And I had something of theirs that I was going to incorporate in that. And you know, that, that's uh -huh. sympathetic magic too right there. Because is it like they're stuck in the honey or to sweeten them up a little bit? Sweeten them up, yeah. I like that. So quick question. Would the cord cutting ritual be a form of sympathetic magic because the yes. candles the two candles are representing both of you and it's separating you right exactly oh okay exactly. see we do it all the time <laughs> yeah more than we know right yeah you can do this puppet making as part of the working itself or it can be made ahead of time so you can use the puppet later on which whichever method you choose is really up to you just remember your puppet represents a person so figure out before you begin who it's going to symbolize is it you a friend um, who asks for help, an unnamed lover you want to bring into your life, a gossip you want to shut up. The possibilities are endless, but just like in any spell work, you need to set a goal. You need to have that intention before you begin. It keeps you from having to deal with do-overs later. So these instructions are for your basic poppet construction using fabric. So feel free to modify what you need. So when you're selecting your fabric, there's no rule when it comes to choosing your material, but it's not a bad idea to select fabric based on your goal. So if you're dealing with money, you might want a piece of green cloth or gold cloth. If you're looking at healing, perhaps something like soft blue or silver. I also think of like healing. Green to me is, is healing also for some reason. Mm -hmm. Check out fabric stores around the holidays. You can find all kinds of patterns. Valentine's Day designs are perfect for men of the heart. And there are plenty of prints with dollar signs and coins stars and moons, other fun options out there for you too. Another option is to use that fabric that links the poppet to the person it represents. So doing a healing spell for a friend, just ask that person for like an old t-shirt. And if you're trying to draw love into your life, consider using a scrap from that like sexy lingerie you wore last Ooh, night. Scantless. Yeah. If you just can't find the right material, use a plain muslin or white felt. So some ideas you can use for designs and colors. You could do animals. So you can make a little poppet for your pet. And then you could bring your poppet with you when you travel i should have done that on oh my cruise my i missed my pets so much you did okay so if you're looking for banishing try black fabric designs such as swords or wands dragons or fire creativity you could use orange or yellow fabric prince of the sun or other fire symbols and also you could do i guess like chakra creativity it's like the solar plexus right mm -hmm. or the sacral i don't remember something down there 
Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> if you're looking for more healing, try silver, white, or blue with designs of clouds or air symbols. Love, obviously, pink, red materials with designs of hearts, roses, and other flowers. You could do cupids, money drawing, silver, gold, green with depictions of dollar bills, or even earth symbols. And protection, you can use red, you could use white, you can find patterns of shields, keys, locks, fences, mistletoe. Easy find around Christmas, right? So when it comes to the types of fabrics, use what's easiest to work with. Cotton prints are easy to sew, but if you've never used a needle and thread before, you might want to try something stiffer like felt. It comes in every color you can imagine and will hold its shape when you sew. A poppet represents a person, so ideally it should look sort of like a person. Give it a head, two arms, two legs, a torso. I mean, saying that your target goal has two arms, two legs. Like if they don't have a leg, <laughs> peg leg. Or that guy from your saguaro cactus trip with the captain hook, hook arm. Yeah. You can make your own outline or use the ultimate poppet pattern, like a, the gingerbread man, basically, that shape. If you're going to be doing spells for animals, such as healing spells for a sick pet, make the poppet the shape of the pet. Your poppet doesn't have to be huge. I really want to make one now. Yeah. It should be big enough that you can stuff things inside it later. So take your two pieces of fabric. You've already cut out your design. Take two pieces of fabric and place them right side together on a flat surface. Place the pattern on top, pin it in place, and cut it out. Leave a little room around the edges for the seam allowance. Usually three-eighths uh, of an inch is a good margin to have. Remove the pattern and there you have the two poppet shapes. Now it's time to start sewing. So if you've never sewn anything by hand before, don't panic. It's not hard. It does require some patience. You could always use a sewing machine if you're pressed for time, but most experienced poppet makers agree that it's worth the effort to do it by hand. Pin the two pieces of material with the right sides together and stitch around the edges. So when they say right sides, that means like the side that you want to see in your end result. So right. if you have a face drawn on one side, that goes okay. smack dab against the other piece of material. Leave an opening somewhere wide enough to stick a couple of fingers in, turn the poppet inside out, and begin stuffing. When personalizing your poppet, fill it with something soft like polyfill or cotton balls. I think if you're going for like maybe something a little more aggressive, you could always probably stuff it with like the witch balls that fall out of like oak trees. Mm. Um, you could use dead leaves. If you are using cotton, that can go back into the ground really. Yeah. So, you know, it depends what you're working with. Right. So you could use old pantyhose too. Make sure you stuff it all the way down into the nooks and crannies of the arms and legs and then fill the torso and head. So this is where you'll place your spell components, your herbs, stones, whatever. In some magical traditions, something from the person represented goes inside the puppet also. This is alternatively referred to as tag lock or a magical link, which we talked about earlier. It can be bits of hair, nail clippings, bodily fluid, a business card, or even a photograph. So once everything is inside, so the puppet completely shut. The more you customize your poppet, even better. Even if you've placed a magical link or tag lock inside, you want to decorate the outside too. Draw or paint or sew a face on your doll, add yarn or string for hair, dress your poppet in something that looks like the person's clothing, copy any tattoos, scars, distinguishing features onto your poppet as well, add magical or astrological symbols if you'd like, and while doing this, tell your poppet who it represents. You mm -hmm. can say something along the lines of, I have made you and you are Billy Zane. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, we should make a Billy Zane poppet. And, and just kiss it. And we, we have to like put those goat and boat emojis on oh. it. <laughs> Somebody make us a Billy Zane doll, please. <laughs> 
your poppet can be used for any number of things. Like we talked about love, money, protection, healing, getting a job, anything you can imagine. So you can make a poppet to bring it about. Simply figure out your goal and the means to achieve it. The only limits on your poppet construction are your own creativity and imagination. So they just mentioned getting a job. Do you want to tell us a little right. more if you're trying to look for, for a new job, a poppet? So at the bottom of this article, they just give some different ideas on poppets to make for different situations. So you can make a poppet to get a job that you've applied for. You can make a poppet to protect your family, to heal a sick person, to bring love into your life. You can make a poppet to silence gossip. Mm. You can make an emergency poppet on the fly. Use whatever you have access to. So this, for example, an emergency poppet, you can make one out of aluminum foil. So if something comes up in a hurry and you feel it needs immediate magical attention. This says use a piece of aluminum foil to whip together a quick poppet. Shape it into the figure of the person, fill it with magical components that might come in handy. Bits of wood, dirt, grass, and you can scribble a name on a piece of paper, personalize the poppet. That's just a quickie little poppet idea on the go if you need one in an emergency and you don't have access to like a needle and thread or like mm -hmm. cloth and scissors and stuff to form an actual poppet. But there's a whole bunch here. I don't know if we want to go into like the materials and herbs for each one or should we just link the article? I would do the materials and herbs. Okay. That sounds good. Go ahead. Okay. So to get a job, you've applied for, you would use satin material in either green or gold or silver coloring. And the herbs you can use for that are clover, chamomile, ginger, and cinnamon. And the gemstones are snowflake, obsidian, or sodalite. Okay. So create a poppet to represent yourself. As you make it, focus on the positive attributes that you possess, which will make you appealing to the potential employer. Another option is to create the poppet in the image of the employer, include business cards or a letterhead inside if you can get them, and tell the employer poppet why you're the best person for the job. <laughs> That's cute. It gets the like the jitters out too if you're yeah. doing like a pre-interview. Right, right. And then you can just picture when you actually go in for the interview, just picture that boss is like a little cuddly, little poppet. Yeah. At that point, it's mixing sympathetic magic with the law of attraction, right? There you go. There you go. The second way to use a poppet to protect your family, you can use modeling clay as your material. And the herbs that you can use are basil, patchouli, and even coffee. Cool. So gemstones are hematite, amethyst, and black onyx. So create poppets that represent each member of the family, blending herbs and stones into the clay. Put them in a safe place in your home, such as near your hearth, and utilize magical shielding or cast a circle of protection around them. This is actually a fun project you can get your kids involved in as well. Let them each make their own poppet person. Cute. <laughs> that is cute. So next poppet you can make to heal a sick person. The material you use is white cotton or unbleached muslin. The herbs you can use are lemon balm, feverfew, ivy, and pine. The gemstones are bloodstone and turquoise. And when you make this poppet, be sure to indicate what you are trying to heal, whether it's a case of tennis elbow, a chronic infection, or even a broken heart. Focus oh. all your energy on the ailment in question. Then you can make one to bring a love into your life. The material you can use is red or pink silk or cayenne. The herbs are rose petals, parsley, and peppermint. Gemstones are barite, jade, and rose quartz. So make a poppet to represent the object of your affection. Remember that in some magical traditions, it is frowned upon to make a specific person the target of your working. If you are simply trying to attract love to yourself, but you don't have a specific person in mind, focus on all of the desirable qualities you want to see in a potential lover. And I think that's probably the better route to go because yeah. then like, Christina, your favorite phrase is uh, you never start a relationship with a kidnapping. Right, <laughs> totally. So, you know, use your own discretion when performing love spells. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. or love poppets for that matter. The next poppet is silencing a gossip. So <laughs> I love the materials for this one. Are you ready? This is wild. Go ahead. This is wild. Materials to use ground beef or this says, quote, other squishy meat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hot dogs. Hot dogs or, yeah, ground beef, ground anything. The herbs you can use in this one are horseradish, pepper, rue, yarrow, and valerian. So shape the meat and herbs into a person and create a meat puppet in the same way you'd make a fabric one. As you make the doll, tell it that it's time to be silent and tell no more gossipy stories. Remind it that people who can't say nice things shouldn't say anything at all. Dispose of the doll by either burning it on your grill and burying it someplace far away, feeding it to your dog, or leaving it out in the sun to rot. There you go. Wow. That one's crisp. Eh? I don't know if I'd feed it to my dog if it's got like horseradish and valerian in it. Yeah, though. yeah, yeah. That's a yeah. sleepy farty dog. That'd be a sleepy farty dog. So that's it. So if you need additional puppetry ideas, you can try to make a magical gingerbread poppet or put together a portable poppet kit to keep in your magical arsenal for when you're traveling on the go or et cetera, et cetera. So that is all from learnreligions.com. We will link that entire article in our show notes. But that was a really informative, really well-rounded explanation of origins of poppets how to use yeah. them how to make your own and we hope you guys are able to try that and if you do we'd love to see I your poppets pop we want to see yes. your show me your poppets show me your poppets oh t-shirt <laughs> t-shirt show me your poppets show me them poppets <laughs> do we uh, need to take another break we might have to we know we've been chatting a while so when we come back we will take you guys through Italian folk magic and talk a little bit more about the Moloikyo and evil eye from cultures all around the world so Sit tight. We'll be right back. Hey, we're the Stinas, and you're listening to Magnolia Street Podcast. All right, guys. Welcome back. We're glad you made it this far. Are you ready to talk about Italian folk magic? Yeah, lay it on me. I purchased that book for my friend Caitlin. I didn't really oh, get nice. to read through it, but she is okay. also Italianate. My friend Heather sent me this book a while ago and I skimmed through it, you know, when she first gave it to me. I never, I didn't read the whole thing in its entirety, but there are some really interesting um, passages in here. Mm -hmm. There's also the Chaotic Ant Witch, I think is her handle on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Yes, the Chaotic Ant Witch. Um, she actually just uploaded, coincidentally enough, she just uploaded an entire like 20-something minute video on Sympathetic Magic. So once I saw that pop up in my subscriptions, I was like, oh shit. Yeah, this is this. very recent. Very, very recent. Within the past week or so, she uploaded this video. In this 21-minute video, which we will link in our show notes, the Chaotic Ant Witch explains Sympathetic Magic as the following. If this is like that, then this is that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So in layman's terms, you take an object that is supposed to represent someone, wax figure, candle, a poppet, mandrake root. Mandrake roots in history have been known to be used as poppets because they're already so human-like when you pull them out of the ground. Even onions, eggplants, or cucumbers can be used to represent the phallus. Or you can use them to represent people as well. You can really use anything to represent somebody. So, and then influence that object so that whatever you do to that object in turn affects the person in which that object represents. You can also just simply write your target's name on a piece of paper and have that symbolize them in your spell work. So sympathetic magic doesn't just have to be for curses or hexes. You can also do protection or blessing spells too. 
You can use ribbons to bind or surround something with salt for protection. And um, the chaotic ant, which goes on to talk a little bit more about correspondences and um, studying the correspondence of the herbs to understand how certain herbs can influence a spell involving sympathetic magic. She also gives a small little list of other objects that you can use in your sympathetic magic to represent, I guess, parts of the body or anything else. So walnuts and skulls represent the brain or thoughts and knowledge. You can use kidney beans to represent internal organs. You can use a vase or vessel to represent the womb or something as simple as a mug or a glass. You can use a cow tongue to represent speech or gossip or a key to unlock doors or open roads. So real quick. Yeah. Remember a while ago we talked about throwing bones? Yeah. And I was like, you're supposed, or now it's more like not, it doesn't have to just be all bones, but the objects represent other things in your surrounding life. I don't mm-hmm. have them with me, but I, some of them, if you're on our Patreon, you saw some of them sitting out on our altar spaces for the Beltane thing. But I have a jawbone from like a possum to represent speech. I have teeth to represent ill words like things like that it's like this represents that exactly what she's saying yeah i think that's fascinating very fascinating been doing it this whole time nice see we do things so subconsciously like Mm -hmm. we just like have this uh intuitive call to do these kinds of things maybe from our ancestors because it is such an ancient practice it is fascinating um so in this video the chaotic Aunt Witch also references a couple books in which lemons are used in curses and hexes. And both books, we will link them on our hero source page. The first book is Italian Magic, The Secret Lives of Women by Karen Crisis. I don't have that one. I've never read that one. I've never even heard of that one, but now I'm interested and want to check it out. The second one is Italian Folk Magic, Ruse Kitchen Witchery by Mary Grace. I don't know if I'm saying her last name right. Faroon? F-A-H-R-U-N. And I actually, this is the one that I have. It's so, very pretty. Isn't it a gorgeous book? Dude, my grandmother's kitchen looks like, yeah. she's got like garlic hanging and, you know. Yeah. And the peppers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Love and it. The olive oil. So much olive oil. Italianate. Italianate. <laughs> yeah, that, that episode will come out before this one, right? Yeah. Okay. So people will know what we're talking about. <laughs> All right. So so this following information we're about to deep dive on, this is from the book of Italian folk magic by Ruse Kitchen Witchery. Um, by the author is Mary Grace Faroon. And the following excerpt is from chapter eleven. It starts on page one sixty, and this is all about the Moloikyo also known as the evil eye. So, the Molokyo is a popular belief that a look, simply a look or glance from one person, can send misfortune and bodily symptoms to the person being looked at. The most characteristic element of the evil eye, as its name implies, is that it is cast with a look. It is believed that when one looks upon another with envy, they can inflict that which they look upon with a mild state of spiritual illness. Oh. Belief in Molokyo is not limited to Italians. Almost every culture in the world has their own version of the Molokyo. I have a question. Yeah. Is it popular in Italian culture? Is it just Greek? And does it have anything to do with the evil eye when like they'll like turn and go and like spit? Okay. We're going to get into the spitting. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yes, the Greeks do have their own version of the evil eye. It's not called the Molokyo. It's called something else. This is really fascinating because I do wear an evil eye bracelet, which I only Uh just bought after during my grandfather's funeral. Okay. Because that's such a charged time as it is. And they're 
you meeting so many people from your past and like, it's just like, I knew I needed it. I knew I needed it. And the girl staying with us was like, girl, she's a witch also. She was like, who are you protecting yourself from? I was like, don't worry about it. But it was funny (laughs) that she noticed and like that the symbol is so popular. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I have the Greek evil eye. My <laughs> Don't worry about it. My dream catcher back there. We went to Greece for on our honeymoon and literally the evil eye, it's everywhere. Everywhere. Mm-hmm, you can't mm-hmm. walk through a souvenir shop without seeing the hell out of this symbol. That's so funny. And okay. when we stayed at an Airbnb, our host actually made us little evil eye bracelets. Wow, that's nice. Little like little friendship bracelets. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's just like a symbol of good luck just to prevent the evil eye. So yeah, big thing in, I guess, Eastern European culture. Huge. I don't know. Anyway, going back to the Malaikyo, Faroon states, I have come across two opposing views on how Malaikyo is transmitted. The more widely shared belief is that it is unintentional. However, there are people, and I have met them, she says, who have the ability to inflict Malaikyo intentionally. Oh, Ooh, creepy shit. So, the caster uses their eyes to channel negative energy toward a specific person. An intense look, often accompanied by flattery or insults or mean wishes, is often the hallmark of this phenomenon. And you know what I think about when I think about intentional Moloikyo? You know that scene in The Craft where Nancy is looking at her stepfather and she just gives him a heart attack? Yeah! Wow! Fucking crazy. Crazy shit. Yes. Yeah. So she, that was, she was giving the Moloikyo on that asshole. Moloikyoin. It was Moloikyo win the shit out of him. That's a really good um, representation. Cool. Right? Yeah. She's just like, you could just see her eyes just piercing his soul. Mm -hmm. So the causes and and types of Malaikyo are varied, but all along the same lines. Malaikyo can be sent because of strong feelings such as anger, envy, jealousy, possessive love, passion, and obsession. In Nancy's case, she was protecting her mother because he was a dickbag. Often those who afflict others with the evil eye are not fully aware of it. It can be as simple as someone has angered you and you look at them from across the room and think to yourself, damn them. Or Miss Jillian, remember her first lines in the book are fuck them. (laughs) Or I hope something bad happens to them. Mm -hmm. Or have you ever like been on the road and somebody cuts you off and you're like, I hope your car flips over. Have you ever said that to someone? No, that just me. All right. (laughs) Maybe it's a New Jersey thing. Maybe it's a New Jersey thing. I don't know. Um, I, I'm usually like, I hope you get pulled over. No, I'm know? usually like, I hope your car flips off a bridge. Oh I God. take it. Fucking Sagittarius takes it to the extreme. Totally. Another example is a friend who was wearing her brand new boots. You look at them and say, I love your boots. They're so... that This reminds me of Mean Girls, right? Where somebody's like, oh, I love your boots. They're so nice. But in their mind, they're, they're like just like full of envy and just mm. like hoping something bad happens to your boots. Oh my God. Yeah. So later that same day, if you, you know, have that envy looking at your friend's boots, later that same day, your friend might step in something ruining her boots or even worse injure herself while wearing them so symptoms caused by maloikyo are typically mild to moderate when compared to a fatura which is a spell that's the italian word for spell or maledizione which is a curse so a mild case may cause a sudden streak of bad luck unusual clumsiness objects seeming to fly out of your hands and crash onto the floor or objects breaking in your hands without the use of any force Among the most common moderate symptoms are headache, specifically behind the eyes. Some people experience swelling of one or both eyes, drowsiness, fatigue, feeling of despair, a feeling of impending doom without reason, low mood without a cause, loss of focus or concentration, or obsessive thoughts on a specific thing. You may also feel anxious and fearful without apparent reason. Dude, you said you've been feeling like that the past week, right? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I feel 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 like that. But this also reminds me of like Jillian's situation in the books where everything just keeps going wrong. Things like breaking her hands, basically. Uh-huh. I don't know if she's ever had the headache. But mm-hmm. yeah, maybe I get the maledizione. Maledizione. You're so curse. good at that. Maybe somebody yeah. cursed you. I think... I think I've self-hexed myself a little bit, but I'm working on it. Oh, shit. Maybe, maybe you have all those evil eyes around you to protect yourself from yourself. It could be much worse. Self-sabotage, right? If the molecule is sent because of strong feelings of love and obsession, the afflicted person's symptoms will also include sudden, unexplainable thoughts of attraction or obsession towards the caster. Sudden disagreements and quarrels with their current partner, feeling like there is a wall between them and their current partner, intrusive thoughts about the caster, often just before going to sleep. The afflicted person will dream of the caster. These dreams will not be pleasant nor obvious. These dreams will be puzzling or disturbing. Dude, I think <laughs> I think so-and-so, who you know, who I did the cord cutting with, she is Italian. And remember, uh-huh. I was having all those dreams. Shit. Oh, I was maloikioed. She maloikioed your ass. All right. So one example of a puzzling dream is that the caster will appear in the afflicted's personal dream, but either will not speak to them or ignore them completely. Was she ignoring you in your dreams? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She maloikyoed you. <laughs> um, <laughs> another example is the caster will appear in dreams and the dreamer will want them sexually, but the caster in the dream behaves behaves as if they do not notice. There are many variations of these symptoms and dreams, but they are all quickly recognized by an experienced healer. So there's a whole section on how to diagnose maloikyo using water and oil. And I think, yeah, and I think this is also apparent in the Greek tradition as well. That is cool. Yeah, here, let me, okay, I'm going to read this to you. I didn't copy all this because it was a lot. So typically, the method to diagnose and cure maloikyo is taught by a mature healer to a young successor on Christmas Eve. This is how I learned, the author says. However, over the many years I have been practicing, I have not seen any evidence that learning it any other way makes it any less effective. There are many methods, as there are healers. Some read the configuration of the oil on water, literally. For example, if the drops of oil behave one way, the test is positive for maloikyo. If they behave another way, the test is negative for maloikyo. Then there are healers who read the oil by interpreting the way the oil moves around on the water and the shapes and patterns it creates to determine whether the person is afflicted. The following is, in my experience, the most common procedure. It's kind of like, did you ever see that video? It's like floating around, I don't know, TikTok or something to see if you've been hexed. You put two matches in of like a little bowl of water and if the matches cross, that means you've been hexed. Oh, I did not. You ever hear that? Mm -mm. Yeah. So for this, you need a shallow white porcelain bowl a small pitcher of water, a bottle of oil, if you're Italian, obviously olive oil, (laughs) a teaspoon, some salt, and some scissors. So what you're going to do is fill the bowl halfway with water from the small pitcher. Using a teaspoon, drop three to five drops of oil into the water. Carefully, without moving the contents of the bowl, place the bowl on the head of the person you are diagnosing. Observe it to yourself. If you can see what it looks like on your head. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, because I think you have to watch it while it's happening. So if the oil drops migrate toward each other and merge, maloikyo is present. Kind of like what I just said with the matches. If it crosses, it's... Mm been cursed mm. if the oil drops burst and spread out over the surface of the water appearing to disappear maloikyo is present if the oil drops do not change at all maloikyo is not present so those are just the two ways i guess to see if it is present oh my goodness so if they cross or if it bursts and spread out over the surface those are the two ways so there is a way to cure maloikyo 
If Maloiko is present, recite the following charm. Some leave the bowl on the person's head while they do this. Other people place the bowl on the table. The skonjiuro, or charm, is a traditional one used by my family from the Abruzzo region. For years, I have been promoting the recitation of charms in the original language. You don't have to know the language. You can read it phonetically. There is magic in these words that have been handed down for generations. So she says, always begin a molecule cure by calling in St. Michael. The shield of St. Michael, Archangel, is above me. The shield of St. Michael, Archangel, is below me. The shield of St. Michael, Archangel, is beside me. The sword of St. Michael, Archangel, is before me. The shield of St. Michael, Archangel, is behind me. The fire of St. Michael, Archangel, surrounds and defends me. Amen. She says at the end. That's a lot of words. It is a lot of words. But if you have the molecule, you're going to say those for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then she does the molecule cure charm, which this is in Italian. Sansisto, Sansisto, lo spirito tristo, el male morte, di giorno e di notte, ducaccia di questa, ducaccia da noi, dustapa e calpesta, ogni occhi che nuoci, qui faccio la croce. So that's the charm. That's so cool. <laughs> I was and picturing you as this little old Italian bubba. Like you're just, you're fitting in right, right into your own shoes. Oh my God, I know. So then on the next page, it says, Saint Sisto, Saint Sisto, throughout the day and throughout the night, drive away from this person, drive away from us, this dark spirit and miserable death, tear out, stomp on, every eye that seeks to harm, here I do the sign of the cross. So I guess that's the translation of the charm I just okay, said. Okay. So then, now you're going to take your open scissors, okay? Okay. Oh. <laughs> so fucking ridiculous. You see this? What the fuck? <laughs> take your open scissors. Use one point to make the sign of the cross three times to cut up, quote, quote cut up the merged oil in the case of, of merged oil or the smeared oil. Then... Hold the scissors with both hands and cut the air above the bowl three times. So snip, snip, snip in the air, okay? Put aside the scissors and add three pinches of salt to the bowl, reciting the following. Lunedi Santo, Marte di Santo, Mercoledi Santo, Giovedi Santo. So the, saying all the days of the week, okay? Uh, Sabato Santo, Domenica di Pasqua. In, ne, in nome di Criste, crepa le occhi triste. All right, so in the name of Christ, the evil eye bursts. That's what translation. So dip your right thumb, dip your right thumb in the bowl and using your right thumb because that's the holy hand, right? You're, you don't want the left-handed path. Mm -hmm. Trace the sign of the cross. Three times on the person's forehead between the eyes, three times on the back of their neck, three times over their hearts. Wow. This is very Catholic-based, by the way, because Italians are very religious. Mm -hmm. Very religious. So you're going to basically do all this, all this stuff, okay? Pour the contents of the bowl onto the ground or down the drain. As the healer, you then take a moment to yourself, thank St. Michael for his protection, and pray. And then she gives a little St. Michael prayer here. Basically says, St. Michael, Archangel, defend us in this battle. Be our protection against wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him. We humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of Heavenly Hosts, by the divine power of God. Blah, blah, blah. So there are some ways to ward against the molecule. This is taking preventative measures before you even get it from somebody. You're going to want to do this stuff. So... You can sleep with an open scissor under your bed with the points at your feet and the handles at your head. Okay. Wear an amulet. And there's many to choose from. This author, um, she gives a whole list, which you can find in chapter seven. We're going to talk about an amulet in a little bit, which is what the Italians wear. It's the Italian, the chili pepper. That protects against the molecule. 
If you find you are very susceptible to the evil eye, you may have better results wearing an amulet containing carnelian or coral. Oh. Another way to ward against it is don't brag or flaunt because that gives the people a reason to be jealous or envious, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then that's mm -hmm. when they're like, curse on your curse on your family. When someone compliments you, here we go, ready? Thank them. Thank them graciously, but then find some privacy and spit on the ground three times. Oh, just in case they're thinking of something envious. Uh huh. So you spit <sighs> out that negative energy that they just gave you. Oh, what? Yeah. So that's where the spitting comes from that you were talking about before. Oh my God. So it's to undo. It's to undo, undo that maloikyo. Yeah. Share your good news only with people who love you. And I feel like me and you've talked about that before. Just like people with bad intentions who you just like share your stuff with. Like keep the things that are the dearest to you closest to your heart. Yeah. Be careful who you share your stuff with. So also you could take a purifying bath once a week. To turn a regular bath into a purifying bath, add a cup of salt to the bath water. It says, pray to Saint Michael Archangel and pray the rosary. Then there's a whole section on curses and hexes. So basically a curse, hex, or jinx is a malediction that is intentionally perpetrated on the victim. The malefactor targets an individual and carries out a ritual with the purpose of harming someone with magic. Symptoms are moderate to severe and can be quite frightening. This type of spell is tenacious because it is fueled by hate, jealousy, and depravity, and it feeds on the fear of the target. So to remove a curse, the practitioner must know how to curse. It does not require special skills or expensive items to put a curse on someone. All it requires is motivation and intent to do harm. Contrary to what charlatans and con artists want you to believe, favorite my favorite word. word, it does not require thousands of dollars and special candles from Jerusalem to remove a curse. It requires a highly skilled and experienced practitioner well-versed in both malediction and benediction. One must know how to curse in order to know how to reverse it. As explained in the preceding chapter, Maloikyo or the evil eye is the belief that if someone looks or gazes at you with the slightest bit of envy in their hearts, knowingly or unknowingly, their gaze can afflict you with negative energy that can wreak havoc in your body and in your life. Symptoms of molecule can be mild, which we talked about before, headache, visual disturbances, indigestion, an unsettling feeling, clumsiness, whereas symptoms of a curse can be moderate to severe, like migraine, nausea and vomiting, extreme anxiety, mm. accidents resulting in broken bones, burns, oh my God. or any other physical injury. So it's a little, curses are a little more extreme. It can cause unexplained financial or relationship problems, like think the common cold versus influenza viruses. The most susceptible are people who are already in a weakened state, either physically or emotionally, the very young or the very old. It is believed that molecule can cause severe symptoms and even death in the frail, the very young, and the very old. The difference between a curse and maloikyo is, with a curse, someone has intentionally infected you, and most likely you will need to have it removed by magic, which is considered the antibiotic in the situation. Mm -hmm. Maloikyo is akin to a virus. You are susceptible to catching it when you are feeling emotionally and spiritually run down. You can prevent catching it by taking care of yourself mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. You can also rid yourself of molecule by taking care of yourself in those same manners. A curse is akin to an infection and it requires taking action with magic. I need you to come over and do this molecule removal <laughs> on me, please. Well, first we have to test you and see if uh, you've been molecule But what if you do it? What if you just do the removal, even if you don't really have it? Does that give you the molecule? Oh, no, I don't think so. But it'd be interesting to see what the oil droplets do. 
We place mm-hmm. that water over your head. Mm-hmm. Also, try the match thing. Put some matches in some water and see if they cross. We just got matches just today from our did. beautiful, beautiful patron. We did just get matches. Like our- so whenever the conversation turns to curses, binding, or protection spells, Mary Grace says, I am always reminded of my great... Oh, this this story. Listen to this story, okay? This yeah. is crazy. She says, I am always reminded of my great aunt, Sia Paulina. My Sia Paulina was my paternal grandmother's little sister and a widow. She was born in 1906 and in 1920, at the age of 14, left her hometown in Abruzzo to find adventure in Naples. It was outrageous at the time for an unmarried girl to be out on her own and compared to her village in Abruzzo, Naples was a wild and exciting city. Zia Paulina spent half her life in Naples in Sicily. She spoke many dialects of Italian as well as French and English fluently. Unmarried and financially independent, she emigrated to the United States in the 1950s. In America, she met up with a third cousin from her hometown in Abruzzo. He was a widower with grown children. They married and were together until he passed away roughly 10 years later. I remember my Zia Paulina as a strong, independent, fearless, cunning, and powerful woman. She was a feminist with looks and wit reminiscent of Maud, the character played by B. Arthur in the TV program of the <laughs> same name from the 1970s. Mm. Every summer, we would drive down to Massachusetts to visit her. Zia Paulina was the closest thing I had to a grandmother nearby, since her sister, my nonna, lived in Italy. Mm. Her house was full of interesting stuff, and her small kitchen had two fridges. One hot and muggy July afternoon, my Zia Paulina said to me, Mary Grace, go in the icebox and get us some ice cream. I got up from my chair and walked toward the closest fridge. Just as my hand landed on the door handle, my great aunt slammed... This reminds me of some Aunt Isabel shit. My great aunt slammed her hand on the table and shouted, No, not that one. I keep my enemies in there. (laughs) (laughs) She goes, the other icebox. My dad quickly looked at his aunt and in our dialect asked, Who exactly do you keep in there? Zia Paulina winked at me and replied to her nephew, Don't worry, they all deserved it. (laughs) We stayed the night. I slept on the cot in the kitchen. No, that's not true. I couldn't sleep because all I could think about was Zia Paulina's enemies in the icebox. <laughs> I remember thinking they were literally shrunken down and crammed into that tiny icebox. Aww. I was six years old. It freaked me right out. As I got older, I envisioned her enemies dismembered and packed in the freezer. The summer I turned 14 was the last time we would visit Zia Paulina in her own home. She was going blind from diabetes, and she wasn't coping very well on her own. She and I were sitting on the porch this hot, muggy July afternoon, and she took my hand and said, I'm old. I'm blind. Yesterday, I shit myself. I think it's time. She got up from her chair and led me into her kitchen. She opened the other icebox and revealed its contents to me. It wasn't packed with shrunken bodies or frozen body parts. It was packed with little packages wrapped in tinfoil with black string tied around them. I'll show you how, but first I gotta get something. She went into her bedroom for a few minutes. When she came out, she had a ragged little prayer book, a really beat-up deck of Italian playing cards. I bet it was Scoopa. Mm -hmm. That's my dad's favorite playing card game. And a few really worn saint prayer cards. She then tied a red ribbon to my left wrist, mumbled something I couldn't make out, and kissed me on top of my forehead. Then she stood up and said, Now let me show you how to protect yourself from people who mean you harm. So this is the spell that uh, Zia Paulina taught her. So this is how to freeze or bind your enemy from doing magic against you. So this is what you're going to need, okay? A photograph of your enemy and make sure it's only the person you wish to bind, okay? Small sewing scissors, a sewing needle, black thread, and black ribbon or yarn. Begin by cutting the eyes and hands of your enemy out of the photograph and burn them. And she says, Zia Paulina used her lit cigarette to like, 
little like burn their eye holes out of the picture baddie right right then thread the needle with black thread and sew the mouth in the photo shut Ooh. then you say this incantation we cut out the eyes so they can't look maloikyo we cut off the hands so they can't gesture curse we sew up the mouth so they can't speak incantations we tie them up so they are bound from doing us harm then fold the photo up tightly, wrap it in tinfoil, and tie a black ribbon or string around it. Place the little package at the back of the freezer to be kept there until you decide it is safe to release them. That is awesome. Right? It's very similar to what I did, but I didn't cut that. That's a little more intense than what I did, but uh-huh. yeah. wow. Yeah. Um. She also has a little control obsession spell in here that's kind of long we can i'm gonna link this book below and i'll I'll let you guys know what pages this is on but one other thing that i wanted to mention from this book is the revenge which is the lemon curse which is what the chaotic aunt witch talks a little bit about in oh okay. okay so this revenge curse is done on christmas eve a lemon is taken to midnight mass at the part of the mass when the priest raises the chalice you should discreetly nibble or pick off with your finger bits of lemon rind when you return home, stick each bite with pins, saying, Tanti sping- Spinguli, Tanti Milani, which means many pins, many illnesses. To curse your target, you then need to hide this stuck lemon somewhere in their home or toss it onto the roof of their house without being seen. Oh my god. If you fail to do this, you can leave the fruit with all the pins stuck anywhere on the victim's property for a whole night. Could you imagine them waking up to that shit? Tricky. <laughs> Fucking lemons pound in your roof. <laughs> It says you can also use a rag doll instead of a lemon if you prefer. In this case, during the mass, the doll, which is hidden, of course, must be abused by twisting and pinching it, subsequently skewering it with pins when you get home and hit it in the same manner as described above. If you were to find these fruits or puppets of Magadia, which is witchcraft, in your home or on your property, all you would need to do to undo the curse is remove the pins and burn the lemon or the doll. The malefic effects of the curse will cease immediately. And then it gives you a little tidbit on how to rid your home of a curse. And this consists of two steps, banishing and blessing. So to break a curse and drive out the evil spirits from your home, first send your family out of the house. Once you're alone, unbraid or undo your hair if it is long. And it says, bare your breasts. Oh. Walk around your home with a pail of salted water and with your dominant hand, take some water and throw or sprinkle it on every wall and floor of every room in the house in a commanding voice. And then you're going to say this charm or whatever. Water and salt, my lord, to remove this curse. Water and salt, St. John, to put out this big fire. Water and salt for the witches. Go away. Curse and never return. To bless your home and ward it against evil spirits. Take some salt and toss it on every floor in your home. Sweep your home and sweep the salt out your entrance door. Now open all your windows. Light up some church incense, it says. Or whichever incense you like to use for purification. And while the incense burns, toss a pinch of salt in every corner of every room. And remember to cover your breasts when you're done. (laughs) (laughs) So that's pretty much everything from this book that has to do with like curses or hexes or the malikyo or any kind of like, I guess that sympathetic magic. So really cool read. Pick it up. Yeah. Thank you, Heather, my friend, for sending me this book. There's also, we're going to talk about the evil eye in the Greek tradition. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Oh, well, you missed the how to protect yourself from Maloikio. Oh, uh, okay. Oh, okay. All right. So yeah. So this this is not from the book I just read. This is from theprouditalian.com. So this says, as protection from the Maloikio, people use different amulets, pendants, or even hand gestures. So in Italy, you can see amulets shaped like horns, usually red in color silver or gold, and these are called cornetti. 
so the red cornetti can be easily mistaken for chili pepper. There are cornetti hanging everywhere, on keychains, in cars, on windows, basically every place that people believe needs to be protected from the evil eye of jealous or envious people. But still the best protection is if you have the talisman on yourself, or as my grandmother would say, the person in this article says, wear more shiny jewelry to catch the eye of the evil intended people. In parts of Italy, people wear pendants as a piece of jewelry made of stone, most common obsidian, coral, or onyx decorated with silver, so it will absorb and fight off the bad energy caused by maloikyo, protecting the person who wears it. A common belief is that if the decorations of the necklace fall off, it has been full of bad energy and should mm. be replaced with a new one. As a tradition, the talismans against maloikyo are gifted from older relatives to pregnant women and newborns. Religion advises using prayers to send back the energy to the sender to stop it affecting you reciting that you have Jesus and saints on your side. Or you can imagine a big mirror in front of you, warding you from the malicious intent of the molecule and send it back to the sender. So it says, even though there are things and feelings that we can't explain, we simply know they exist. So believing in molecule or not, you unconsciously can feel someone's gaze over at you. You can feel when someone's kind of giving you that stare down. Like that Absolutely. Evening, right? Yeah. And it's up to you to choose to wear that some kind of talisman, repeat a prayer, or ward yourself with an imaginary mirror. Like, the whole like old saying i'm rubber you're glue whatever i don't remember how the rest of it goes but you know what i'm getting at bounces off of me sticks to you right yeah so or simply believe that by not giving power to the evil eye the curse can't get to you so like gary curses are only true if you believe in them or something like that yeah precisely yeah so yeah that's that the was movie. really cool that sounds like an awesome book you want to tell us a little bit about the evil eye in the greek tradition it's loud in my mouth Sure. Yeah. So this is from realgreekexperiences.com and they say that the evil eye is a widespread concept around Greece as well. Since ancient years, people have believed that a person can harm other people, animals, or even inanimate objects by sending off negative energy. This is often a result of envy, jealousy, or other negative feelings. The affected person can feel bad for no apparent reason. Common physical symptoms include dizziness, nausea, headache, extreme tiredness, and overall feeling of malice. According to traditions, anyone with the malevolent glare can pass on the evil eye curse. However, people with blue or green eyes are thought to transmit them more frequently, even <gasps> if they have no evil intention whatsoever. Damn. Interesting. Yeah. So, truth, superstition, or plain nonsense. Let's find out more about this common belief, beginning with the origins. So ancient gods and supernatural powers. For several millennia, people have believed in the presence of spiritual unknown forces, which often dominate nature and the world. This has always been a convenient way to rationalize natural phenomena that couldn't be explained otherwise. As an example, the ancient Greeks attributed magical powers to some figures of their history and mythology, such as the 12 gods of Mount Olympus. Demons, magicians, and sorcerers were and still are common across countries in the Mediterranean region and other areas of the world. So apart from gods and demons, people also believe that bad energy can be transmitted from one person to another, and more specifically, through a stare. The concept of the evil eye dates back to the ancient world and is often thought to originate from ancient Greece. This is based on the presence of eye paintings on Greek drinking vessels from the period of classic antiquity around the 6th century BC. The painted eyes may have also been meant to ward off evil spirits that could enter the body when wine was consumed. Oh shit. They were called apotropic from the ancient Greek word written in Greek, which I can't read, which means <laughs> to block or deter. 
Uh-huh. Other apotropic symbols and practices in ancient Greek include amulets, scary depictions like Medusa's head, and numerous phallic symbols like the ones found in ancient Delos. I've been there. Oh, how was it? Where I went there go? on my honeymoon. Oh, it's, it's so cool. It's an island that's off of Mykonos, and you have to take a ferry there. And it's like all ancient ruins, and it's so cool. It's so I want to cool. go there next year. Yeah. That's my goal. You gotta go. I gotta go. We talked about apotropic symbols in a another really recent episode oh lilacs it was lilacs uh-huh oh right used to yeah deter bad spirits from coming in your property right, right right so these pieces were believed to have a talismanic power and protect their owner from the evil stare they all serve the same purpose to attract the person's evil gaze distracting them from casting the spell during the classical era painted eyes were also a common theme on boats sailing the aegean sea dude i remember like uh jason and the argonauts their mm-hmm. boat had a big eyeball painted okay. on and they're like shields too and the boat the boat had eyes on the front oh it's all connected it's all connected and and the creek islands to protect them from harmful powers and help guide the ship through potential hazards so several classical authors like hesiod made a reference to the evil eye in the first century a.d the Greek philosopher Plutarch attempted to give a scientific explanation in his work symposics symposiacs god damn it symposiacs i love how you're teaching me how to read (laughs) that's why i'm so good at french is because you say like the first three letters and then you give up halfway through that's why it sounds like i know what i'm talking about (laughs) That's what they told me to do. Because basically you give up halfway. Symposiacs, he explained that the human eye could radiate negative energy and potentially even kill weak creatures like bebes, young children, and small animals. According to Plutarch, people from certain regions of the world, as well as people with blue eyes, were better at casting evil spells. This was probably due to the fact that light-colored eyes were uncommon around the Mediterranean at the time. So is this belief in the evil eye uniquely Greek? Of course not. Since the ancient times, several cultures have believed that the evil stare can cause bad luck, an illness, or even death. The evil eye existed in the whole region of Mesopotamia, especially Babylonia, Assyria, and Chaldea. The historical region spreads across today's Iraq, Kuwait, parts of Iran, Syria, and Turkey. In fact, references to the evil eye in these areas appear a few centuries before the classical era in Greece. There is a theory that it was Alexander the Great who spread the evil eye concept as he made his way to the east. It's not certain. And let's not forget the Egyptian eye of Horus, a powerful symbol for protection against the power of evil. Going back thousands of years, among other places, this was painted on boats, which might be where the Greeks took the idea from. Today, the culture of the evil eye appears in most Mediterranean and Balkan, the Middle East, the West Asia, several countries in the East and West Africa, and most Latin America. It is very, it's like once you know, you'll pro- we're going to start seeing it everywhere, mm-hmm. even on the dollar bill. Mm. Oh, yeah, it is on the, on the, the all-seeing eye. Yeah, yep. that's also a symbol of the Illuminati, right? There you go. There you go. It's all connected. It's all connected. Uh, real quick, the Greek evil eye is called Mati. Okay. Yeah, it's somewhere in this article. We'll we'll link it all below. I feel like we should have a poll. Like, do people care about our sources? I love them. I think they're awesome because you go down so many wormholes. Oh my god, it's a. But wreck. I feel like yeah. people are like, we don't give a shit. Like, we don't care where you found your stuff. Yeah, but I mean, like, if they want to, if they want to do their own digging or they want to re-reference anything that we've talked about, if they want to yes. get it in print or copy paste to their own little grimoires or whatever yeah, yeah, they use yeah, for yeah. their own reference material, it's helpful in that aspect. Yeah. If they want to use it, it's there. So we're gonna skadooch our favorite word. We're gonna skadooch on over to 
sympathetic magic in pop culture, movies, and media. Yeah. Um, Very, by the way, this site, this site was loaded. Yeah. So we're going to read through some of the more well-known ones we'll read through, but some of them will just spew out. But this is tvtropes.org. Okay. There were a lot. So they did movies, literature, TV, music. Uh, so we'll go through some of these. Which What do, what do you want to do? Do you want to do films? You just go do right you down the do line. You have films here. Yeah, for- yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, cool. but do you want to go first? Or do you want me to All go right. first? All right. So Drag Me to Hell. Did you ever see that movie? I don't think I ever saw that movie. I remember the poster or like the who's, cover. Who's in that? I don't know. I don't remember if this was it or not, but Sam Raimi, didn't he direct Evil Dead? And I think this was in 2009. He returned to the horror genre, stars Alison Lohman as Christine Brown. I don't know if this has anything to do with Evil Dead, but anyway. It says, after being denied an extension on her mortgage by loan officer Christine Brown, the gypsy Sylvia Ganish rips a button from Christine's coat, using it to put a curse on her that will result in her being dragged off to hell, as per the title of the movie. Mm course yeah christine spends the entire movie trying to come up with a way to avert this awful fate interesting yeah the next one is scooby-doo on zombie island i don't think i ever saw this is but... this the one with freddie prince jr oh no it's a cart it's the cartoon one it's a cartoon, it's a cartoon one never mind. okay so it says the bad guys have ones of most of the heroes made of wax and bits of hair cloth collected from the intended victims i don't know what ends up happening to them i never saw that but it is referenced in that movie the next one is the first child's play movie. Chucky uses a voodoo doll to torture his former mentor into telling him how he can become human again. I don't remember that. Do you remember that one? I don't think I was ever allowed to watch that movie. Really? Oh, I remember. That was like one of the first scary movies that I saw. And I think I saw it by accident. I was at like a friend's sleepover party and it was on like just like as background noise. But I got like sucked in and I was watching the scene where like, I forget, does like Chucky like barge through like a wall or something like that? Or You're asking maybe, the wrong person. Maybe I'm thinking that because I had bad dreams about that for like years after I saw that. You know what movie I watched way too early that I had nightmares about was Scarface. <laughs> really? My, my older brother, he's only three years older. Somehow we ended up with the VHS of Scarface. So I think I was like 10 watching this guy's legs get fucking oh my popped God. off in the bathtub. And I was oh, like, geez. all right. There's no sympathetic magic in that movie that I know of. Okay. Okay. All right. So the next one is in Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. I don't remember what order they go in, but no, like, there's so many. Yeah, there's so many at this point. But Blackbeard made a voodoo doll of Jack in order to keep him under control. It was thrown over a cliff to see if Jack would survive the jump and didn't appear again until the stinger, where it ended up in Angelica's possession. And also the one we mentioned earlier with the job the dirt. dirt. Yeah. I got a job dirt. I got mm-hmm. a job dirt. Uh, the next one is Dogma, where Loki... Loki! Loki! Loki just jumped up on that desk! Loki! <laughs> See, he knows. He knows. He knows. So Loki constructs a voodoo doll of the chairman of movies, board of directors, and after a the reason you suck speech to the entire board, smashes it. The chairman recoils in fear, but is unharmed. Come on, I don't believe in voodoo, Loki says as he walks out laughing. He comes back in with a gun, but I do believe this, and he shoots almost everyone. Do you remember that scene? It's so funny. I think I've seen that movie movie. maybe a couple times, but that whole world that uh, Kevin Smith has going on, it's hysterical. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen Dogma quite a lot. I've maybe seen a couple times, but I'm really partial to the um, Jay and Silent Bob movies. I don't know. Were you a big fan of Clerks and Mallrats too? I think I was too young and Dogma was just 
at the right time. Mm, you know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. The ones I didn't really watch. Do you remember Alanis Morissette? Didn't she play God in that she movie? She did. Oh, that cameo is so good. <laughs> right. Oh, and Rickman. So good. So now we have to, we should do a um a watch party of that movie now. That would be a good one. <laughs> the next one is Blair Witch, where the group wakes up to find their camp surrounded by stick figures hanging from the trees, one of which has a clump of Talia's hair woven into it. Yeah, it's a big one. Yeah. yeah, those Blair Witch stick figure dolls are creepy as fuck. The next one is, this one, this one is probably hands down one of my favorite ones and one of the ones that have such a lasting impression in yes. my mind as a yes. child because I grew up watching this. Yes. This was one of my first introductions to voodoo dolls probably. Okay. The young Maharaja in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom uses one to cripple Indy as he's busy fighting with the giant mook, requiring Short Round to step in and save Indy from a certain head-squishing death. The Thugi cult didn't use voodoo dolls in real life, preferring to strangle their victims with scarves. But it should be obvious by now that Indiana Jones is not a documentary anyway. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Kalima. 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 Oh, and then he sticks his hand into all those like yeah. bugs. Oh, that movie's so good. Kalima, Shakti Day. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Uh, what is what does he say when they're uh I forget what they're saying as like the, the body is like getting lowered into the fire. They're like oh, all chanting something, right? What are they saying? What are they saying? I don't remember, but that whole scene is just iconic. Next up is the princess and the frog. Among Dr. Facilier's friends on the other side are enchanted voodoo dolls that beat on drums whenever he works his voodoo. He also had a traditional voodoo doll of Big Daddy LaBeouf that he intended to use to kill him in the moment Lawrence and Charlotte were married, thus enabling him to get control of the LaBeouf fortune. I think I've seen that movie maybe once. Uh, yeah, same. Next up is The Witches of Eastwick, which is a film, but this is listed, also listed under literature, so we'll talk about that in a little bit. Do you want to take some of these literature ones? Yeah. The Immortals Quartet by Tamara Pierce. Nomura finds Diane using a focus, quote-unquote focus, made out of locks of her hair. The picture of Dorian Gray is in here also. We talked a little bit about earlier. It's exaggerated in this story and adaptations of the book or the character. Dorian himself is completely immune to everything harmful, both natural, self-inflicted, and attempts by others due to the magic of the painting, and only damage due to the titular picture can hurt him. In Harry Potter, Polyjuice Potion allows the drinker to transform into somebody else if they happen to have a strand in the hair from that person to brew into the potion. And then Witches of Eastwick, which we all love. Who is it? Susan Sarandon, Cher, and Michelle, Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. Yep. And Nicholas, not Nick Nolte. No, Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson. <laughs> <laughs> Jack Nicholson. The women make a wax doll to curse their romantic rival, Jenny Gabriel. The film version changes the victim to Daryl Van Horn, presumably to keep them sympathetic. I remember in the movie, they were trying to get rid of him because they started to see his bad side. So while mm -hmm. he was out getting ice cream, they make this wax doll to try to escape him, right? Uh -huh. Yeah, I think so. Um, right. Also, another one of those movies that I've seen maybe a few times. Mm -hmm. I always have it on as background noise, so I'm like never paying attention to the details. Yeah. So now we're going to talk about some television. I guess, TV shows and movies. The episode Cat's Paw in Star Trek, the original series, had advanced aliens take the appearance of human mystics, mounting their matter transmutation technology in what appeared to be mystical implements. With said technology, they remotely affect the orbiting enterprise using a scale model of the ship. Hmm. Interesting. So next up is Supernatural. It doesn't really say what like what in that has anything to do with sympathetic magic that show is good i like that show 
It was very like Merlin-y. Okay. Yeah. I don't think I ever watched it. It was All cute. Right. American Horror Story, Coven. I remember this one. Do you remember Queenie? She describes herself as a human voodoo doll. Whatever she inflicts on her body appears on anyone she chooses while causing no pain or injury to herself. Uh, Then Marie Laveau uses an actual voodoo doll on Hank Fox as punishment for not killing the witches of Miss Robichaux's Academy. And also, I'm pretty sure American Heart, that that season, Coven, that all takes place in New Orleans. So it's all full of like voodoo and lore and all that like New Orleans type of Creole kind of lore. So really cool. Next up is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. In The Witch, Catherine Madison uses Barbie dolls as poppets to curse the cheerleaders in an attempt to win a spot on the squad. Oh, cute. That's funny. Uh, Next up is Charmed, the show in 1998. The Hallowell sisters occasionally use poppets as part of a spell to direct the effects onto a specific target. Paige once mentioned owning a voodoo doll to warn a boyfriend of how she'll repay him if he uses her dark and troubled past against her. Damn. Yeah, nobody's ever blackmailing her again. Jesus. Next is Doctor Who. In the episode The Shakespeare Code, the trio of alien witches have one that they use to injure and kill people, which is activated by acquiring a bit of hair from the victim. There's also a more complex puppet used on Shakespeare as part of their plan. Are you a Doctor Who fan? Do you watch that show at all? I haven't. Uh, No, I don't. Yeah. I saw the one about Vincent Van Gogh. That was really touching. Okay. Avi was super into that for a while, and he tried oh, getting yeah. me to watch it. It's okay. Okay. It's okay. It's not, okay. It wasn't my favorite show, but, you know. Anyway, so in the Gilligan's Island episode titled Voodoo, a witch doctor used voodoo dolls to control the castaways and turn the professor into a zombie. At the end of the episode, Gilligan decides to get back at him by making a voodoo doll of him, and despite Skipper saying it takes years of practice to make voodoo work, Gilligan inadvertently drove the witch doctor from the island when he stabbed the doll with a pin in the butt. That's such a wholesome (laughs) show. Right, isn't it? And then lastly, in the Simpsons episode, Praise Land, the eponymous family are helping Ned clean out the things that remind him of his late wife, Maude, and Bart takes Rod's first tooth to use in magic. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> I don't think I ever saw that episode. <laughs> so many Simpsons episodes. So many. That's such a weird, like, thing that they have about predicting mm-hmm. future events. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that is super weird. Let's talk about some music. This is the last yeah. little bit for pop culture. So the figurehead by Mary Wives of Windsor is about a captain who makes a figurehead shaped like his wife to put on his ship, which you see a lot of on ships. They usually have that very front portion as a woman to protect them. Right. Do you remember in Jason and the Argonauts, it's facing the crew. Usually it's facing the sea. Uh-huh. But in that movie, it's facing the crew to watch over them. And Hera gives oh. Jason her message that way. Okay. Do you remember that at all? Um, Vaguely. Okay. I just think it's interesting how nautical lore, it's bad luck to have a woman on the ship. And but they say that in that movie. What? They say that in that movie too. They say that in a lot of different nautical movies and lore and different things like that. So it's bad luck in essence to have a woman on the ship. But most sailors refer to their ship as a woman. How does that make sense? I don't know. Right? I don't know. So weird. Anyway, there's a good Nico Case song about, she talks about warships called She. Okay. The lines in the, it's a really good song. All right. Every time the ship goes to sea and suffers damage, he comes home to find his wife with a similar injury. Finally, the wife has had enough and jumps into the sea, not to drown herself, but to sink the ship. I want to hear this song. Yeah. 
Florence in the Machine has a song called No Light, No Light. And in the video, a voodoo doll is used against Florence, causing her to fall off a skyscraper. Hmm. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne has a song called Little Dolls that has to do with sympathetic magic. And in Snoop Dogg's video from the church to the palace, a (laughs) young boy uses an action figure of Snoop to unwittingly cause all sorts of mayhem. Interesting. There's actually one more that I'm surprised didn't make this list. Oh, what? Do you know? Remember that song? Ooh, ee, ooh, ah, ah, ting, ting. Yeah. Walla, bing, bang. That song is called The Witch Doctor. Oh, okay. So just a little bit about that song. It was written in 1958, written and performed by Ross Bagdasarian under his stage name David Seville. In the song, the singer asks a witch doctor for romantic advice. The witch doctor responds with a nonsense incantation, which creates an earworm. And mm-hmm. most famously, I think the chipmunks sang that song, right? Did the mm-hmm. chipmunks have a part in that song? So yeah, that's another little uh, little nod to voodoo in music. The voodoo that you do. And then that that song uh, from the Labyrinth. Do you remember that song? You remind me of the babe. What babe? Babe of the power of voodoo. Who do you do? You remind me of the babe. (laughs) Love that song. There you go. Yeah. David Bowie. Good old David Bowie. R.I.P. R.I.P. So yeah, that's that's all the music I can think of. There's probably tons more. If you guys know of any songs having to do with voodoo dolls or voodoo or anything like that, sympathetic magic, let us know. Mm-hmm. We'd love to hear more of them. Yeah. So what happens, what about if I dream about like voodoo dolls or poppets? Oh, so this is a rabbit hole in and of itself. This is all from checkmydream.com. In general, voodoo dolls seen in a dream predict getting a senior position. Such a dream also predicts acquiring expensive property or a quarrel with your partner because of his or her jealousy. Oh, According to psychoanalyst Sigmund Freud, such a dream can be interpreted as a sign of unpleasant changes. According to Miller, a voodoo doll with needles seen in a dream is a symbol of arguing with neighbors. Interpretations of dreaming about voodoo doll in Venga's dream book say the following. To conduct a ceremony with the voodoo doll predicts taking care for a sick relative. Talking with the voodoo doll predicts a serious conversation with a loved one. Carrying the doll in your hands means pride in your achievements. And the meaning of dreams about voodoo dolls according to Setkov's dream book. Voodoo doll in the hands of a friend means trying to implement a feudal project. A relative holding a voodoo doll means you will be receiving important information soon. If a neighbor has it, this means vivid romantic relationships. According to Loff, such a dream can symbolize a difficult period in life. So what is the meaning of a voodoo doll for men? If a young man found a voodoo doll in a dream, this means participating in a dubious affair Piercing it with a needle means improvising your housing conditions. If a man sews a doll, this predicts the envy of his colleagues. Do you think Samuel Diaz's colleagues were jealous of him? (gasps) It might have been. It might have been. If a woman dreamed that a voodoo doll came to life, this plot promises a meeting with her former beloved. Voodoo doll representing a child in a dream predicts long and hard work. If the doll symbolizes your boss, this dream promises promotion. Hey. hey! A voodoo doll of your father predicts changing place of living. Dreaming about a voodoo doll of your wife symbolizes looking for a way out of a difficult situation. Popular dream meanings by Meneghetti's dream book. So Meneghetti says, trying to manipulate someone using the magic of a voodoo doll predicts creating a strong family. Buying a voodoo doll means unexpected wealth, thanks to which the dreamer will be able to start his own business. Selling a voodoo doll is a symbol of self-doubt. And uh, Velez, Velez, 
gives the following short interpretations of a dream depending on what kind of voodoo doll you saw. So a porcelain voodoo doll in a dream predicts long, hard work that will bring good profit. A clay voodoo doll represents poor health. A rag doll promises the fulfillment of an old dream. A straw doll brings popularity among women if seen by men. If a woman saw a voodoo doll, this means unsuccessful attempts to restore friendly relations. Two voodoo dolls in a dream represents worries for children. A voodoo doll in blood represents vain hopes. A doll without a face predicts temporary separation from the one you love. A doll made from hair predicts a visit of unexpected guests. A black voodoo doll is a symbol of unrequited love. Alright, so negative meanings of dreaming about voodoo dolls. To receive a voodoo doll as a gift in a dream means losing an important document. Oh no. Throwing it out of the window means poverty. Burning a voodoo doll that's uh, on fire means death of an elderly family member. What are the positive meanings of voodoo dolls in dreams? To make a voodoo doll in the form of an enemy or an envious person promises victory in a dispute. And lastly, finding a voodoo doll in your own bedroom means revealing hidden talents. Those are kind of all over the place. Right? Like, that was a hot mess. <laughs> a, a lot. <laughs> That'll be in our notes if you need to oh, look back. Do you have anything from Brasidia, Ryan? Did I did not. Have- I looked for Poppet. Really? I looked for Voodoo. What about Doll? That seems generic enough. Okay. She, she might right. have something to say about a doll. All right. Dag. Doll house, dollar doll. Okay. Brasidia Ryan from Ultimate Dictionary of Dream Language says, You will become very concerned about the behavior and whereabouts of children. You must also carefully watch young adults around alcohol in order to prevent any mishap for the next three days. Again. Like, <laughs> what? Her time frames just crack me up. Also- I do like my other dream book. It's very good. It's, it doesn't have as much as this, yeah. but this one is just so funny. Like, yeah, like, like it doesn't make any sense. Nothing. No, no sense at all. That's great. <laughs> all right. I think that's all we have for you guys today. That's a big old girl. That is a big girl. Big old booty. I do want to make a little doll of myself or my little kitty cats. Yeah, now I want to make one of them. I could have totally brought that on my cruise and just snuggled with those every night because I miss them so much when I left. Little travel poppet. Yeah, so we hope you guys enjoy that. If you guys have made your own poppets or done your own sympathetic magic, we'd love to know your experiences. So definitely email us at magnoliastreetpodcast at gmail.com or slide into our DMs over on the Insta at magnoliastreetpodcast. And uh, yeah, we love to read all of your feedback on the show. And if you join our $5 tier on Patreon, you can join our Discord and our private Facebook community. And on our Discord, you can weigh in on all the discussions and on the patron perspectives. We love to chat with you guys over there and learn more about your own experiences in the magical world. And come to our movie night, Sunday, yeah. May 28th, 2023, yep. on that's our Discord. Also, yeah, that's also on our Discord. So $5 Patreon, get in on it. Don't <laughs> do it like my song. Awesome. <laughs> All Uh, right. So anything else? Do we have anything else today? That's it. That was, I think that's it. Um, What's on the Patreon poll for the next month? I will tell you right now. I'll tell you that Griffin Dunn is on the Patreon poll for sure. And I think it was Kim. Kim. Yeah, Kim. was like, you would have so much to talk about. And I really kind of want to reach out to Alice and be like, do you have anything you would like to share about working with griffin yeah um so we have and it's a it's a three-way tie right now between griffin dunn jimson weed aka thorn apple mm-hmm. uh, magnolias or palm reading and palm reading so far has zero right correct 
Okay. Yeah, so you guys, for as little as $1, you guys can get in on the Patreon poll and weigh in on what you guys want to hear us talk about, because you guys are steering this ship. Mm. We have nothing to do with that. Bad on boats. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I think that's all we have for you guys today. That's it. I'm Christina. I'm Justina. We'll We'll see you next time. time. Is that good? That was good. (laughs) That was right on. At that house down the street. On Magnolia Street Would you go down to Magnolia Street With the wisteria girl Wow And the house of magic and mystery So would you go down to Magnolia Street So it says, Homo sapiens, in other words, us, members of the human species, as evolved over countless years. Yet the homo or hominid part, which basically connotes the factual biological side of our existence, is much more... No! Justina, don't touch anything. (laughs) I didn't touch anything. My hands are here. It's gone. What? All that shit that I was just reading is not there. Your cat walked across the keyboard. That was not me. No, it did not. I needed to see what you are ever seeing. Hang on. My hands were up here the entire time i was not touching the keyboard let me just click on the site but yeah let's just go right to the site do you want to just read from the site go ahead <laughs> hold on just... let me let me open it okay i'll okay. just copy and paste it again from our for our listeners thank you dear okay I love you. <laughs>